Best Worst Podcast 2013. Uh, yeah, hi, welcome back. Um, and welcome back to you, Doug. Thank you, and welcome back to you, Jacob. And we've got someone new here today, Daniel Rutledge. Name, rank, and serial number. Hello, gentlemen. Daniel Rutledge, 2374632. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Nice to have you, Daniel. Oh, and of course, this episode is brought to us as the 21-year Nika Pure Mall. Pure Mall, which is easily... Is it easily the classiest scotch we've ever had on Best Worst Podcast? I think it might be. Yeah. Yeah, So, it was... When Daniel offered that, it was a natural to have him on. Come pie. Come pie. Come pie. (laughs) So, we talked about doing a Best of 2012, but really, you guys have seen all those lists and have all heard all those names. So, we thought... um, might take a different approach and talk about what we're most looking forward to in 2013. And um, obviously, you know, we've already had a month of releases. We're a little slow out of the gate here, but um, that's okay. And also there's obviously a lot of releases that'll come out this year that have already got um, attention at the film festival last year, like, you know, Barbara and the Red House and Amour and No. So I've kept my list to stuff that um, has yet to play in New Zealand at all, which is... um, quite a few things and some of them may not make it this year but um maybe by talking about them and getting people excited about them maybe they will so um, hoping. Yeah, yeah, yeah so we've we've each got a uh, list of 12 unique choices which some of ours uh we negotiated quite a bit for so there may be some uh, overlap so um daniel do you want to start with your number 12 Sure. Um, my, uh, mine aren't actually in order. I've got a num- an absolute number one, but the rest are just a random list. Um, but uh, the one that is first on that list is Only God Forgives, oh, which is yeah. the uh, the upcoming collaboration between director Nicholas Winding Riffin and uh, actor Ryan Gosling and composer Cliff Martinez. Cliff Martinez is doing oh, the score. Oh, he's back on. Cool. Yeah. He's, uh, did he, do, he did Drive, right? He did, yeah. Because I, I, he also did the score for um, Contagion? Contagion and yeah. uh, Solaris, which is probably oh, my favorite well. score. That well. he's, the Soderbergh one, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, sorry, continue. No, it's, well, <laughs> I've been listening to the Drive score a lot recently, actually. Yeah. It's, it's a modern classic, I think. Yeah. It's, I think Drive was... Um, for all... I mean, there were some pretty valid criticisms of it, but I loved that film. And... Um, there are a lot of things I think I, I loved about it, and the fact that they're going into a film that is much more—I um, think the violence is going to make a lot more sense. And only if God forgives, it's basically a revenge tale set around Thai boxing in Thailand. Okay. Um, I can't remember what the revenge tale is, but I don't—you know—I don't want to find out until I'm in the cinema again. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is basically on the back of Drive. That's you know, that's a collaboration I'm particularly excited about. Yeah. And we should note we'll probably be doing this a lot because I think we're all trying to strike the balance between getting excited about new films and not finding yeah. out too much about them. So It's if, so hard. If you get offended by a yeah, it's by this guy and I like him and it'll probably be good, then you should probably just turn off now because you got a lot of that coming. <laughs> um, what about you, Jacob? Okay, so um, one that I've got on my list uh, that I'm, I've been interested in, it's it's had a lot of attention overseas already um, through Cannes and what have you um, last year, um, is uh, Jacques Audiard, Audiard? Yeah, Rust and Bone, uh, which, Doug, you said releases... March? March 28th is the current release date. March 28th, so you, you'll have a chance to see it very soon, and so will I. Yeah. Um, so that's looking pretty good. Um, he, he was the director who did uh, A Prophet, um, which played festival... 2010 I think yeah. um, and that was a, that was a pretty cool slightly existential sort of prison film um, which is 
you know, fairly standard, but it had a nice little mystical kind of aspect to it with uh, with the prisoner. Yeah. Have so, you seen his other films? The beat that my heart skipped, which mm-hmm. was a remake of I've Fingers, heard of it, was before it. that, and that was a fantastic little pickpocket film. When was that? Um, 2005, six, okay. seven, somewhere in there. And then uh, he also did a film called Read My Lips, oh, yeah. which was about a deaf woman who gets um, in, enmeshed in a heist um, <laughs> and um, as is also really good. And um, yeah. So anyway, cool, cool. Not to derail you too much. Uh, anyway, I, I have a thing for these kind of genre sort of crime or or heist films that have maybe a slightly more um, considered approach to them. Uh, one that jumps to mind um, is Fabian Bielinski's The Aura um, or Elora, which played a number of years ago, um, which was a, a classic heist film that had a very kind of slightly existential and, and slowed down approach to parts of it um, about a guy with um, epilepsy. So. And this one has is it um, is it Mar- Marianne Cotillard? Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Sorry. Just for a podcast, mutilating foreign <laughs> actors' names since 2011. But she's been in a lot of stuff recently, and um, in this one, um, she plays a lady with uh, either is it no legs or um, so. So the setup is that she works at uh, an aquatic park. Yeah, and I don't know if she loses she loses at least one leg in yeah um, an incident there. Yeah. Yeah, so it's looking like it could be pretty good anyway. Mm. Uh, I so saw got, a trailer for it in the States, and f- photographically it looked beautiful. What, it won and, something at Cannes? I believe so, yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, it, it also won a lot of French awards, I believe. And it's, um, yeah, it's, some of his other stuff has been quite, you know, shaky cam handheld. And yeah. this looks actually like it's a much more considered style. It's yeah. got, um, also, it's he's from a film called uh, Bullhead, which I haven't seen, that's got a lot of... Um, press over the last couple of years it was nominated for academy award matthias schoenhart i think oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. as yeah. as the male lead who i think is involved in some kind of street fighting or something mm-hmm. like that and so it's kind of an unlikely uh love story and yeah it looks freaking gorgeous cool um so what's first on yours man uh i'll start um with like someone in love which is um Abbas Kiristami did a film. Has done plenty of films over the years. An Iranian director in uh, *Taste of Cherry*. Um, the, of course, I'll forget all the names now. <laughs> Lots of them. Trust me. Close up. Um, and uh, two, two or three years ago, now he did the film that's still the best film I've seen this decade. That's a new film called *Certified Copy* yeah. with Juliette Binoche and William Chamel, and um, and that just completely knocked my socks off. Uh, and for his follow-up, he did a film called, uh, this film, Like Someone in Love, which played at Cannes last year, oh, yeah. which unfortunately, for whatever reason, we weren't able to get at last year's festival, so hopefully it'll come around. It hasn't been as well received by some, there, but there's some that are really ardent defenders. This time, the film's in Japan, so okay. that's an interesting um, Bit of a shift. twist on it. Yeah, well, you know, Certified Copy was his first film, I think, outside so of Iran, Iran. Yeah. So, um, and obviously... You know, with a lot of the issues that filmmakers have been facing in Iran, you know, um, mm. particularly with you know like Jafar, Jafar Panahi's house arrest and things yeah. like that, um, you either have to, you know, really hew the line or really Take go out into the world, and and that's what Kiristami's done. So um, he apparently plays a lot with genre as well in this one. Um, so I, I don't want to know anymore. I'm I'm pre-sold on it yeah. um, until he proves otherwise. I did not know about that film, and now I'm also very much looking forward to it. It sounds great. <laughs> What's it again? Like Someone in Love. Like Someone so, in Love. So, yeah. 
Wow. Um, well, another one, we've just been talking about some fairly highbrow festival-type films, so I want to turn the tone right back down to more on maybe perhaps <laughs> on the worst side of the Best West podcast. <laughs> Fast and the Furious 6 is coming out <laughs> this year. And um, I think I saw Fast and the Furious 1 at some point and may have seen some of 2 or something, never really paid attention. But last year, or the year before, no, the year there before, um, Fast and the Furious 5 came out, also called Fast 5. And I loved it. Um, it was a. It's directed by Justin Lin, who's come of age as a. Um, in my mind, one of the most exciting action big blast, big blockbuster action directors in America. What are the other big ones he's done? Because I know him from Better Luck Tomorrow, which is his first film, which is a cool Asian teen gangster film. Yeah. And then I hadn't seen anything until Fast Five. He hasn't done a lot. He did a lot of TV episodes. And, okay. and, oh, like um, which? What kind of shows? Um, I I can't actually remember. I just scanned across and none oh. of that sort of stood out to me. But then the Fast and the Furious, he did Tokyo Drift, with oh, Fast yeah, and Furious yeah. 3, and number 4, and number 5. So is right. he doing 6? Yes, he is. Oh, cool. He's also um, been in talks to do a Terminator reboot with Arnie for a few years, right. which no one was paying attention to until Fast oh. 5 came out and made as much money as it did. And apparently there's, there was movement on that last year anyway. I've got to say, at the risk of ruining my reputation... Um, as highbrow or whatever, <laughs> that um, I, having not seen any of the previous Fast 4 movies, uh, Fast 1 through 4, I think I saw like 20 minutes of one of the early ones at somebody's house and just hated it. And um, <laughs> But I, I, I have a real soft spot for good car movies that are done right, and, uh, you know, especially like that era of two Black Blacktop Vanishing Point, and um, I always want to see a good car movie. Um, and I saw Fast 5, and... I was really blown away by it. I thought the action direction was phenomenal. I thought The Rock in particular was just endlessly entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, what I really respected about it was, and this may sound highbrow conceptual or whatever, but it, like, it knew sort of the beats that it had to hit as far as character development. It's like, okay, we have to have this kind of stuff. And you watch a lot of action movies and sometimes they'll have 15 minutes about how the main character's girlfriend is pregnant or something. It's just, you know, filling up time to the next thing. And it was almost like they found those beats and just condensed them to almost like a haiku. Like, <laughs> almost like these, these character elements they had to have. It's like, yeah, we know we need that. 15 seconds, it's done. All right, let's have some awesome crap going. And the other thing, this is the thing I've been interested in recently, is how much of the dialogue was um, in its original language and subtitled. You know, there's, a, mm. I mean, a lot of the films I love are subtitled, and historically a lot of people like think, oh, audiences don't watch subtitles. But you look at Fast Five or Inglorious Bastards and even part of Django, and, you know, there's these huge films that are making lots of money, and they're chock full of subtitles. Um, so I like it, how they tried to make subtitles cool in Fast Five. Yeah, they, well, they did they that Nightwatch kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a bit of that as well. But, um, yeah, I, all of which is a long way of saying that I'm also excited <laughs> for Fast and Furious 6. It was more of a, I mean, it had the, the car stuff and it was amazing, but the, it was more of a heist, like, action movie. Mm. Like, I kind of... I was telling Jacob before I got a point break kind of vibe from it. Yeah. I think almost all, of, apart from the, the big um, vault thing at the end, a lot of the action looked very real. Mm. I don't think there was a lot of CG in it. It was PG-13 directed action, which I generally don't like, but there was a really long fist fight between Vin Diesel and The Rock, which is amazing. And as a PG-13 edited um, fist fight, it's about as... Good as it gets, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so I just... I can't wait to see what he does with an even bigger budget. 
um, with The Rock again, who... Oh, he's signed back on. Yeah, Excellent. The Rock's in it. Um, right. And, like, I, never, I didn't even really like The Rock before that film. Yeah. He was, like, I mean, his wrestling was, was what it was, but... What about Southland Tales? I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was pretty good in The Tooth Fairy. <laughs> um, but, no, he was, he was just sweating in every frame in yeah. Fast Five and just... Mm-hmm. He had the coolest line. He had the one fuck in the movie that you're yeah. allowed in a PG-13, and he used it really awesomely. <laughs> and he had the greatest line of dialogue, which was at one point, um, he was running over what had happened, and the, the, the British, uh, sorry, the Brazilian female cop was like, none of this makes sense. And he grabbed the papers out of her hands and goes, you know what makes sense? Just threw them on the ground. Was like, and then they just carried on. Was like, <laughs> that summed up the movie. It was like, it doesn't need to make sense. Yeah. Just deliver on the action. And yeah. it did. Excellent. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> so uh, what, what's the uh, high-budget sequel that you're going to... Uh... <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't think... Oh, actually, I'll chuck a sequel in there. Um, okay. uh, along... Well, I don't... It's not really a weighted. I don't think people were expecting it. Um, Before Midnight um, is the third instalment of uh, Richard Linklater um, collaboration with uh, Julie Dalpy and Ethan Hawke. Um, and they all, since right since the start, have sort of co-wrote, co-written and... Uh, I think uh, improvised a lot of the the material in it, and so uh, essentially it's another another talky. Um, this time walking around, oh, where is it? It's somewhere in. Was it Rome? No. Was oh, I can't remember that. I cannot emphasize how little I'm trying to learn uh, about yeah, this yeah, film. Yeah. No, <laughs> anyway, I don't. I don't. I, I think I know too much about it already. And another, that's just like whether another not city in Europe. To start. Yeah. Um, the two. The couple uh, have come back together again to do another sort of phase of their relationship and basically just explore what, is, what it means to be people and and live relationships and figure out who you are in these places with each other. Um, that'll be very smartly written and acted and, and smartly directed. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but I really dig it, so I'm looking forward to it. Are you a Before Sunrise, Before Sunset fan, or have you seen them? I haven't, actually. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard a lot of good things, but they're just, you know, some of those movies that just... I haven't got around to see. I'd like to give him another go, go in the run-up because before Sunrise, I really didn't like when I saw it. I'm yeah. like, I don't like this people, people, especially that Ethan Hawke <laughs> being this smarmy young tourist, like trying to cut an on to this French girl and like, it, it, he was really callow and, um, but then I saw Before Sunset and I was really blown away because it's like, actually it's like, yeah, that, that is, these people exist, that's who they were and this is who they become. Oh, yeah. And all that kind of youthful stuff has been kicked out of you a bit hmm. by what's happened in your life and um and I'll, and before sun, sunrise ends with this open question of will they or won't they meet in a year and before sunset sort of expertly teases out you know finding out in real t- time with them whether or not it happened yeah um and then it's like and, 10 years later or something like that. uh yeah maybe 8 or 10 years something yeah. like that um and yeah and and ends in a similarly <laughs> ambiguous Ambiguous might not be the quite yeah, quite the yeah. right word, but it, it ends sort of just as hmm, something might happen here. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then now it's like I really want to go in this movie without actually knowing like have they been together for the last eight years? Have, did they did they separate again and now yeah, they're no, just did... randomly in the same thing? I don't want to know a no, damn thing, and I just want to explore with them. And the reviews from Sundance have been phenomenal. Like you know, lots I've of seen a few mixed ones. I've seen some have people you? sort of giving it the sort of thumbs down, but I mean. Perhaps those are hmm. people that it wouldn't appeal to normally. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, it'll be it'll be great drama. Cool. Well, you took the um, highbrow sequel side of uh, Dan's gauntlet there, Dan's gauntlet. <laughs> so I'll take um, 
the action highbrow side, which is uh, Wong Kar Wai's The Grandmasters. Ooh, yeah. um, so, are you are you a Wong Kar Wai fan? I, well, I'm more of an Ip Man fan, but I'm okay. super pumped to see what Wong Kar Wai does with it. I, mean, I love 246, and that... Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Wong Kar Wai, um, Chunking Express, Fallen Angels, In the Mood for Love, 2046, um, My Blueberry Nights, which uh, <laughs> is it, it's not as bad as it gets credit for, but it's still, and it, in some ways it makes you wonder how you'd react to his other films if you spoke the language. Yeah. Because the dialogue is, it's like, well, it's beautifully shot. It's just that mm, it was his one American film, and. You kind of like, uh, it doesn't quite have the same rhythm, but maybe that's just, maybe all his films have that. Anyway, he has done a big left turn and decided to do a period epic based on the Ip Man myth. Not myth, it's true story. Of, yeah, you, I th- and I think you probably know more about this than I do. I've seen Ip Man, the film, and loved it, and I'm not quite sure exactly why Wong chose to do the same uh, story. But Well, in terms of um, true true kung fu uh people this this basically chen zen and um and it man okay. like a two of the sort of massive ones that kung fu movies just go over and over and over it's not just it man there's a bunch of other hong kong films that look at him he was bruce lee's teacher if if you are non-familiar with them but he invented wing chun which is a type of a very flashy cool type of martial arts popularized by um by bruce lee and um his life story was kind of interesting particularly Leading up to to meeting Bruce Lee, he lived through World War Two, and um, and yeah, it's gonna Wong Kar Wai's visual sensibilities with that film are gonna be awesome. It's been stalled for a long time though, that film. Like, yeah, well, it's it's Wong Kar Wai's famous for his protracted um, <laughs> um, filmmaking practices. Like famously, 2046 missed its first screening at Cannes because he wasn't done. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I think in the mood for love played wet like they just printed the film and took it out of the baths and ran and got it to the opening um, and it was supposed to do- open at Christmas in China and he missed the deadline and so now it's premiering in Berlin next month um, so uh, who knows it, it may be a mess it, uh, uh, there's no question it'll be beautiful and there's no question that um, I'm going to go see it um, no matter what. Um, It may recall Ashes of Time, which is, you know, Wong Kar Wai's very first Mm. film. So his his last, um, I mean, that's from a much older period, but another Mm. martial arts thing told through a very fractured kind of chronology and very almost impenetrable in certain ways, but um, very distinctly has his style... It has played somewhere. Yeah, there's a review on Twitch Film, and okay, um, maybe it's played. The review is glowing. Oh, great! Very glowing. Great. Um, great. Also, as well as Wong Kar Wai directing, it's the the choreographer. Tony Leong is the is plays it man. The choreography is by uh, Wuin Wuin Po Lee. Wuin Ping Lee, maybe I forget. But the guy the guy who did um, Drunken Master Two, Fist of Legend. Um, Black Mask and yeah. a whole bunch of really, really awesome old kung fu movies. Is Black Mask really good? Black it's Mask never been on my bad. radar. It's a, it's I a, mean, it's <laughs> just in terms of like classics. There, it was like it's like saying Casablanca, Lawrence of Arabia, and The Silent Partner or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and Silent Partner. Uh, well, film, it's pretty. Yeah. It's yeah, it's fun, man. Like it's. Okay. Uh, um, I remember um, it, how. Sorry, I remember getting it out of the video store because it had R eighteen. 
and all you know beside all these other films that had R16 with the same sort of actors in them. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's um, it's a it's a very much a nineties um, you know post John Woo explosion type of kung fu film. But I remember it being quite good. Okay, cool. And more of an action film rather than a kung fu film. An action film with kung oh, fu, yeah. Yeah. yeah, rather than a kung fu film with action. Cool. So, what's your next one? Um, well, I'm going to say um, this would probably be probably be my number two, um, which would be Star Trek Two. Okay. Cool. Yep. <laughs> um, simply because by the director of Star Wars Seven. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can yes. we not talk about that anymore? <laughs> no. Okay, good. I just wanted to close that off before it started. Um, anyway. um, disregarding Star Wars, Star Trek, the um, the J.J. Abrams film from 2009, um, was basically did what I wanted the Star Wars prequels to do, which was an epic sci-fi blockbuster story done really, really well. Um, it had a few things I didn't like about it story-wise, um, but... Visually, it was amazing. The story worked, and the char- it introduced the characters in a way that I thoroughly enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And going into a sequel, um, which is hopefully we still don't know who the villain is, but he seems very carnish. Right. And um, played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch is still one of the coolest names in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how British is that name? <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but no, I just uh, I can't wait to see what he does with the sequel. Be interesting. I I enjoyed the first one okay, but I kind of um, I don't know. I'm just a bit over dark gritty. It's like everything is dark, everything's gritty, and you know, Star Trek wasn't quite as much that in its original incarnation. And when I watch this trailer, I'm like, this looks like this looks like the Dark Knight. This looks like Avengers. This looks like a lot of you other Avengers was dark. Kind, well, uh, maybe the it's just sort of the back like kind of. Pixel storms of things destroying a city, sure, kind sure. of thing, um, and and also the opening's quite. Dark You're right, well. yeah, but I mean, there's the, they yeah. need to do that for stakes. I think like the audiences are so used to that being the stakes, the world being destroyed, yeah. that if you lower it to something, I guess it just. I don't know if it would work yeah. for mainstream audience. Maybe it's just, but uh, it's even a color palette thing, right? Like you know, I mean, you think of right. the original Star Trek, you think of guys in yellow uniforms, the red shirts, kind of thing, and and I can't remember exactly what they wore in the new one, but it all seemed a bit more muted. And you think of like the Avengers, and you think of like in the comic books, Harkai is wearing this gaudy purple thing, and you know, in the movie, <laughs> yeah. he's just wearing some black thing, and all the and um, I don't know. They, uh, Star Trek doesn't have to be the film that does this, but I'm dying for like. The film that you know just wholeheartedly embraces like big bold color. Like I guess I haven't seen it, but supposedly Speed Racer did that and collapsed dramatically, which might be why nobody else has picked up that gauntlet. Speed Racer but, did um, it in a pretty insane way, though. Right. I don't think that's exactly what you're meaning. It was that was more of a psychedelic, completely CG. It was like the movie yeah. The Cell or something. It was kind of super, right. super full on. <laughs> um, no, I get what you mean, and I was disappointed. Like I think a lot of people were with that first poster of. Star Trek 2 right. sorry Star Trek Into Darkness which oh, is yeah. a funny yeah. title which just was basically the Dark Knight Rises uh, sorry the Dark Knight trailer broken stuff forming the symbol of the movie yeah mm-hmm. um, but yeah no I I, um, I I certainly appreciate that and uh, but no it worked on me <laughs> I oh, fair enough it. yeah and there was a humour and stuff in it which I also appreciated yeah, yeah. oh cool uh, okay what, what am I going to go next I think I'll jump out with uh, Stoker. Okay. 
So Stoker is a new film. That, it's come out several places now, hasn't it? Did it, it played play, Sundance. Played Sundance, yeah. Um, so that's the um, first American film by Park Chan-wook, um, who you probably recognise from Old Boy and various other films. The last one I remember seeing, which was quite a while back, was Thirst, mm-hmm. um, the, his vampire flick, um, which was pretty, pretty... Speaking of dark, <laughs> dark and twisted. Um, yeah, I just think... Um, this looks like, again. This is a pretty dark kind of thing, but this is his first kind of uh, foray into a very what I think of as a very Korean director um, playing in Hollywood. Um, so uh, Mia Wasikowski, who's getting all over the place at the moment, she's Australian, I think, um, is is starring in this. And uh, who plays the mum? Somebody Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Heard of her? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, some some big Hollywood names. Um, Matthew Good is the is the guy, relative or whatever. So it's basically the setup from Shadow of a Doubt, from what I understand. I don't, the I don't Hitchcock know. film. Oh yeah. right, yeah, yeah. So it's like um, Uncle Charlie, and I think it's even Uncle Charlie yeah. in the film comes to town, and Uncle Charlie has a dark past. And apparently, the first act is really similar, and then it yeah. goes completely off the rails yeah, yeah. and patented Chenwick Park style. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's <laughs> he's so twisted and. But but then again, there's a whole sensibility to. I, I don't know. There's something very distinct about Korean filmmaking to me, uh, more so for me than um, so a lot of the Chinese film I've seen or Japanese film, um, and and I've across several to several genres. And he he does kind of dark, brutal, and slightly twisted, and he applies it to a number of, like to pure action, applies it to um, sort of the fantastical. And applies it to slightly more dramatic as well, but there's it's, there's always something really messed up about the things that go on and the way that they develop um, and the way that characters end up developing that I find really interesting. So I'm, I'm quite keen to see what he does. And he's a really precise director. I yeah. um, I somebody um, I saw who didn't like the film, but he said he out De Palma's De Palma. You know, <laughs> and you think of like those you know femme fatale yeah. or Snake Eyes or I yeah. actually haven't seen Snake Eyes, but I don't know why I said that one. But a lot of those intense set pieces yeah, and yeah. Um, and I've struggled with that in some of Chenwick Park's later films. But it, it like such as thirst and um, not a cyborg, but that's okay. But like, they're still really masterful. Mm. And even if I don't always like them, I'll always go see them because there are few directors working at that level of control yeah. and intensity. Um, speaking of Korea, um, I had uh, Hong Sang Soo. I think has another film coming out <laughs> of this year. So, but you Just know, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I probably like eight. I don't know, but. Um, uh, he didn't make my top 12, but he's always there. But um, I will mention uh, the new film by another great Korean director, Bong Joon-ho, nice. who is maybe most famous for the host. the host, although probably my favorite film by him is still Memories of Murder, mm-hmm. which is um, one of the best um, serial killer investigation films oh, of wow. all time. It's right up there with Zodiac as far as that. Um, that. And just um, what's really characteristic of Bong Joon-ho's work is that he's has this effortless tonal control, but he can actually change it on a dime, you know, where it's suddenly like it goes from slapstick comedy to yeah. super dark and back. And somehow, like I've seen lots of people who throw a lot of tones at the screen and, you know, often it just becomes a mess and he keeps you on that roller coaster through all of that. And, um, and he is another Korean director who is now entering into the world of yeah. English language with the long-in-development film Snowpiercer, which all I know about it 
is it's based on a graphic novel and uh, Tilda Swinton stars in it. And that's the point where I close my ears and I'm like, (laughs) if I could have just been like, you know, kidnapped and woke up in the cinema without reading anything else about it, I would have been quite happy at that point. Um, I'm sure I'll hear more about it between now and then. Um, Do you guys know anything else about who else is in it or anything like that? No, no, but like you, I don't really want to. Like, I don't know who's doing it until I read an article about the three... Um, Korean directors moving into Hollywood. Yeah, that was a quite good Entertainment Weekly article mm. a couple weeks ago, wasn't so it? So who's yeah. the third? Um, do you have the third on your list? Um, no, I don't. It's, okay. um, but it's the last stand. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Kim Ji-Woon, who did oh, uh, Tale of Two yeah. Sisters. Yeah. And, um, and The Good, The Bad, The Weird. weird. Which yeah. was um, solid. But, um, sorry, uh, Snowpiercer's director's name? I get Korean Bong Joon-ho. I get Korean names mixed up a lot. Yeah. What you're saying about tone um, is so true, and the, the, the host who does that perfectly... Which reminds me, one American director I can think of who can do something similar is Tarantino. Mm. Can mm. take it, can like in that opening scene of *Inglorious Bastards*, where it's extremely tense, mm. and then the pipe comes out and it's extremely funny for a yeah, moment, yeah. and then straight back to yeah, being tense. tense. Yeah. Uh, Boon Jung Ho does does the same sort of thing. Yeah, really I, well. one that, the moment that stands out for me, particularly with the slapstick. Um, was the scene in um, the host with um, with the family funeral sort of thing that just turned into oh, a complete yeah. plastic? <laughs> I remember watching, going, "What the yeah. hell?" Well, and, weird. There's also a thing. bit where they're in the um, fallout shelter as well, or oh, yeah, they're being yeah. treated, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it turns into this real comic moment. And you're like, "What the heck?" Or even just, I mean, um, there's the famous <laughs> moment of you know how there's the Jaws principle mm. of films where you gradually reveal the monster and yeah. so you're and you're primed to condition that you're 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 saying okay i'm going to a monster film i'm going to see a tentacle i'm going to see another you're tentacle flash and like 80 minutes in finally i'll see the monster nine minutes in he's just <laughs> broad daylight running through and destroying everything it's like whoa all bets are off now because where are they going to go from here yeah um so yeah just um yeah definitely high up there um you know may not be the artiest um, title on the list, but um, oh. I'm really keen for it. Yeah. Um, well, my next one is A Field in England, which is the next film from uh, Ben Wheatley, who oh, did right. um, cool. Kill List and Sightseers. Damn, Sightseers is funny. Sightseers is hilarious. <laughs> um, he's been uh, he's becoming a, a New Zealand festival uh, favourite. He's mm. had films, uh, th- those films I just mentioned have gone in the last two years consecutively. Mm. A Field in England, all going according to plan, will be in this year's. And that, um, I don't really know about. I did an interview with him for Sightseers, and he told me about it. And the way he described it was really awesome. He's really excited. It's a black and white period piece. He said it's set during the English Civil War, which I didn't know was a thing. But um, <laughs> apparently it was. And Is that like Cromwell and back then? or Maybe? I, I'm not sure. But it, anyhow, it's, gonna, it's like musket-driven combat. Oh, yeah. But black and white, and he said the guys in the main... It follows some guys in the English Civil War who take magic mushrooms um, <laughs> and get into actual magic. Of course they do. And wow. the film ends with a great big cow Western-style shootout with muskets. So it sounds that's, a, that's all I know about it. That's all I need to know. Huh. sounds fantastic. And possibly wizards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Wheatley's an interesting one, because, I mean, I've... I've um, wrote a lot about Kill List after it came out because I was really intrigued by the mysteries behind mm. it and um, Sightseers was super funny um, I do find a little frustrating he tends to really rely on improv a lot mm. and I found Kill List in particular like there's part of me that was like I would love to see that same film reshot 
now that they have the script. Mm-hmm. Because there would be just weird cutting and weird moments and kind of like things that they'd kept. And then there were these moments that were really intense and powerful that kept me going through. And Sightseers was developed by um, uh, the lead actors. The I think they stand-up comics. Yeah. And so they had this really strong grounding from these characters that they created. And so I felt like, um, although visually I didn't love it, um, it, it worked better than the photography of Killist. And it had... Um, that really strong spine to it. Mm. Um, it'll be interesting to see with this one if he's kind of reverted to that, or if the fact that he's got you know musket-driven combat means that he needs to be a lot more uh, considered in his approach or uh, what happens. I think he's a very interesting filmmaker. He jumps I'll around go, yeah. quite a lot, and um, yeah, I had some issues with Kill List um, myself. Slightly not so much. I just thought that was a solid, solid yeah, comedy, yeah. very dark. <clears throat> quintessentially British comedy oh very much so like, it had a pencil museum scene in it like, <laughs> you can't get more British I've, I've, uh, I was sitting next to someone from the Midlands or near enough um, when I watched it and uh, they said I've been on that I've been on that caravan trip <laughs> 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 yeah. it almost happened that way yeah so what's your uh, um, my next, next one, one okay um, you got that one yep. I'll go for it if you want. oh no 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 um I will go with uh, uh, a little a little thing, um, much to do about nothing, um, which I don't know if it'll ever make it here or not. It may do. I hope it does. Um, I can't imagine it wouldn't. You think it wouldn't? I don't know. I, I don't know how much interest there is in it. From the director of the Avengers, you yeah, think, yeah. Well, you'd think well, that with Cabin in the Woods. Okay, so well, technically was, he didn't direct that. So, yeah, yeah, but no, I, I was, he co-wrote it. And, and should we say Joss Whedon at this point? Yeah, Joss Whedon. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, straight after straight after the Avengers happened, um, Joss Whedon wanted to get back to doing something a little more low key, and so he grabbed a whole bunch of his actor friends from um, various projects like Buffy, Angel, Firefly. Um, milk the cast of those who are all his friends and basically just shipped them to his house and they shot a modernish adaptation of Much Do About Nothing essentially in his backyard I think um, in a very short time period so it's gone from like the massive budget spectacle of the Avengers sucked down to just a, a very maybe slightly more improvised um, but small scale uh, comedy um, with a bunch of friends who um, I just happen to really like because I'm a big um, fan of a lot of his other stuff so yeah so I'm looking forward to it. I, it looks, the bits and pieces that I've seen, which are just very few, right. um, look pretty entertaining to me. But I'm so, like you know, like you said, pre-sold. So <laughs> I, I hope it makes it. I, I, love, I love that he's done that. Like, yeah. and some of the stuff he's done, like the the jokes he's pulled, like he did that P, that fake PSA about um, going to see small movies, supporting. Yeah. He, to be in his position in Hollywood now, but with his his. Yeah, I just find him a very interesting uh, person to be in that position. Yeah, it's cool that he's doing those sort of things. I mean, I I really was not on board with the Avengers, but um, I mean, I love like Doctor Horrible sing along. Yeah, yeah. And like, I I haven't seen all of Firefly, but I've enjoyed what I've seen of it. And so it's like, it's great that he's, you know, because not everybody who would do a lot of people would do blockbusters be like, oh, I can't do some small movie that would ruin no, my yeah. cachet. Yeah. And um. Yeah, like, I think he's still like anchored in his background because he spent so long like writing for TV um, comedy. I like he started off writing for Roseanne or something like that um, okay. years ago. Um, but uh, he he sort of had a lot of experience trying to launch TV shows and failing or getting them off the ground and to get them cancelled for political reasons. And and it's a little bit cynical about the system. Um, 
that, that he works within, but you know, it's still the job that he loves and what he wants to be doing. So I think he's just keen to do a wide range of stuff. So I think, yeah, stuff like Dr. Horrible, he's going to do something, maybe a sequel or something similar to that again. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that stuff interests me that, you know, he's keen on doing stuff of all scale. is pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, what you got? Well, I was trying to come up with some clever link to everything, but failing that, I'll just talk about <laughs> Ty West, The Sacrament. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So I don't know anything about The Sacrament other than... It's a horror movie, and it's produced by Eli Roth and directed by Ty West. And Ty West was here for The Innkeepers. Yes. And I got to meet him, and he was... At that point, he sounded a bit overdoing horror. Yeah. And to be honest, his contribution to VHS was not one of my favorites, and I've heard some people loudly complain about his uh, contribution to ABCs of Death. So I'd be interested to see if he's inspired. But I hope so, because House of the Devil and The Innkeepers are two of the best crafted horror movies I have seen in mm. ages, you know? I, I just don't know anybody else who's made mo- two movies, horror films, back-to-back at that level. I mean, can you think of anybody? Um, well, you mean modernly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> historically, you know, John Carpenter. And, uh, yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no not really. Sure, um, yeah. and, and especially of such modest means as well. I mean, yeah. um, they're they're very... Low His style of horror, films. as well as, as, as the slow burn he does, oh, yeah. really it's, well. very, it's kind of very pure sort of style, and I love it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's not. It's, I'm not a horror fan as well, and I dug that stuff, and it freaked me out. It's just yeah. so lacking in quotation marks. Yeah, it's just like this is, which is interesting because like House of the Devil is an '80s period piece, yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> and it's preying on all these things, and it could have, you can imagine the sort of the cutesy version of it, where you mm. know the lead character has you know shoulder pads and a big frizzy thing and like it, it just that could have been such a terrible movie um and uh, it's stunning and then the innkeepers uh was the last time i was truly frightened in a cinema mm. like and and the thing is like you know there's there's been over the last few years a push to extreme gore and extreme shock value and a lot of quote-unquote horror is really just about provoking disgust instead of that it's just like does this gross you out well does this gross you out how about this you know mm. and and i don't think there's a single frame in the innkeepers that i couldn't show to my mom mm. Mm. you know i don't think there's any you know just as a standalone frame it's not like hey look at the person with their guts hanging out right you know the intestine strangling it's all it's all quite genteel in a certain way but i was scared as shit <laughs> during it i mean i was like oh my god i'm really uncomfortable and you know and, it, and it's just amazing that He's accomplished that, so I'm I'm hoping for a hat trick with the sacrament. Yeah, me too. I mm-hmm. uh, the name is evocative of what it could potentially be about, but again, yeah. I don't I don't really want to find out. Eli Roth producing is interesting. Um, yeah, that could go either way. Yeah, it could, but I think in a in a producer role, he's probably going to be pretty hands off. Yeah, and yeah. Um, let Taiwas do his thing, but just make sure he got the budget he needed to do it and. Maybe would have encouraged a little bit more gore. Which, yeah, um, I think at times is is fine. I suspect yeah. he's a Taiwan fan, so I mean, I, I think he wanted to yeah. do yeah. his thing. Well, it'd be interesting because you know their connection, right? Because um, uh, Eli Roth. Oh wait, what? No, sorry. Uh, Cabin Fever Part Cabin Two. Because yeah, I mean, I don't know if Eli Roth was involved in producing Cabin Fever Part Two. I don't think so. Don't but of course, he directed the first one, and then the second one, Eli Roth or uh, Ty, Ty West directed, but then it was taken. From him in post. Oh, right. And so the version of Kevin Fever Part 2 that's out has nothing to... I mean, Ty West shot 
yeah what was in it but it's just a completely different edit and different tone and different music and everything and um and he i guess he had quite a few heartbreaking experiences up to um house of the devil and even i mean from talking to him it sounds like even you know these last two films have been hard you know they're just you know very tight budgets very short shoots um and you know scraped together not really making any money off them Hmm. just doing it because um he loves doing it, you know, and he gets to make movies, and that's what he cares about. So, your turn. Well, that's uh, easy leeway into my next one, which would be um, SVHS. Ah, oh, true. Oh, yeah. um, you mentioned VHS, which was, uh, for those that don't know, it was a horror anthology that came out last year. Ty West was involved, as was David Bruckner, um, Radio Silence, and uh, a couple of other notable modern, Adam Wingard. Joe Swanberg, of all people, who's not really a horror guy, but <laughs> here we are. Um, and it was it was pretty good. It was uh, as far as horror anthologies go. It was it was basically a found footage thing. Um, clues in the title. It was like a bunch of VHS tapes that kind of snuff making dudes found in a house. Um, now a lot of every found footage horror film has always got the question begging that breaks the suspension of disbelief. Why are they still recording? Yeah. Um, VHS had another one which was why are they not fast forwarding because <laughs> because all the short films were being watched for these guys and they uh, they had some uh, some you know some boring sections it was like why would they these are snuff filmmakers why wouldn't they anyway yeah. um, SVHS just opened, just played at um, Sundance in in, uh, in North America and apparently it's really really good um, Gareth Evans who directed The Raid um, does a segment in it um I can't remember who else is attached right now. Isn't one of the Blair Witch Project directors have one, or am I making that up? I can't remember. Gareth Evans does it with someone else. Um, but anyway, um, Ant Timpson uh, saw it and said it joins the ranks of the likes of Aliens and Godfather Part Two and something else as being a sequel that outdoes the first <laughs> one. Tim League um, hates found footage films, loved this film. Um, yeah, basically the noise out of Sundance was this is the shit. So... Mm-hmm. I wonder if they'll actually, because um, my problem with VHS that distracted me for way too much of the viewing is like, like the very first film within a film is a guy recording it um, to a glasses camera, and um, you know that's obviously not something that would be on a VHS tape. And I remember somebody mm. asking David Brucker at the Q and A, like, well, how does that? How did it get onto VHS tape? He's like, I don't care. You know, it was it was a receptacle for found footage things, and so that's probably something I'll bring into SVHS. Is just assume that you know, not not really worry about that. You know, by the time VHS got into having Skype sessions be a movie, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is just a thing. But also, VHS had some similar um, concepts across the films as well, and so it'll be interesting to see if they've kind of. Um, coordinated a, bit, a little bit more so that there's not as, quite as much similarity. Yeah, there, there was. Um, I remember reading an interview with one of the guys in VHS who was like, I think about three or four of the guys decided like, oh, I'm going to do the smutty one, right? <laughs> um, thinking that no one else would have, and then so there was actually quite a bit of smut, which would have. Yeah. There was a sexual assault like right up the front of VHS, which yeah, that was rough. Was and... really unpleasant. Because it was just so realistic, and yeah. as far as sexual it assaults also, go, it wasn't yeah. that bad, but the way it was filmed was horrible, and I think it would have just turned a lot of people off. Yeah, and it also gave a strange color to David Bruckner's film as well, which is actually very sexually progressive in a certain way, but starts off with 
going straight kind from, of, yeah. yeah yeah which um the the concept of his film is about these guys who go out with these hidden glasses camps to pick up some girls and um film them while they're having sex and then things go horribly wrong um <laughs> but you know for the first half of it um it's like you're watching these douchebags mostly and some uh, of the most obnoxious douchebags ever put to film I say they were yeah they, it was it was insufferable yeah. I haven't seen it yeah um, and um, and yeah them getting their comeuppance was quite rewarding but um, <laughs> I did I did struggle with the sexual politics of that film to a certain degree and obviously I think each of those ones on their own might have kind of or in a certain framework might have worked it just seemed collectively like oh, this is a bit much. And having had friends who have been into genre and kind of turned away from it because they get sick of that being sort of the consistent late mm-hmm. motif of it. I mean, that's one great thing about Ty West, for instance, is both, although he did one of the films in there, but um, <laughs> both um, House of the Devil and Innkeepers have really strong female leads. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, and I think like genre doesn't have to be about you know, objectifying and demeaning women. <laughs> just no, no, sure, lots no, of, it yeah. just, it's just easier for people sometimes, and that's what they do. And, I imagine, well, yeah. um, I haven't looked into it too much, but I imagine that there definitely would have been critics who picked up on that, and they would have taken that to heart and probably gone into the sequel going, right, no more yeah. <laughs> just having tits for the sake of it, or, yeah. you know, whatever. Or sexual assaults for the sake of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what, what about you, Jacob? <clears throat> okay, so um, next I'll go with a couple of films that I really know nothing about um, I'm not even sure whether one of them is going to be finished it's about to be finished later in the year uh, Errol Morris has got a couple of films um, coming out sometime this year hopefully um, The Known Unknown, The Life and Times of Donald Rumsfeld <laughs> I mean, do I want to know about Donald Rumsfeld I don't know but Errol well, Morris is going to tell it, yep I probably want to know <laughs> yeah I mean if The Fog of War worked then uh... yeah. And um, another one which has a little more appeal in the title, Freezing People is Easy, which I'm, I'm sure I've heard him talk about. Well, Actually, no, I think he did a segment in first person, one of his first person segments, on a guy yeah. that was working in cryogenics. So I wonder if he's doing a full segment on where this guy's at now. Well, Freezing People is Easy is actually a drama. Oh, really? Yeah. So this, and I think stars Paul Root, if I remember correctly. And isn't isn't it about something like, cryogenically freezing Timothy Leary's head oh, and then it gets geez. lost or something I can't remember all the details but it, uh, yeah it's it's his first drama since wow. The Dark Half which is the only yeah. Errol Morris film I've never seen but is oh, be notoriously like you know everybody just sort of glosses over it when they talk about Errol Morris and, <laughs> um, and then he, he did that in like 1990 and he hasn't done a drama in 23 yeah. years and so he's come back for that apparently wow. that'd be interesting um, yeah yeah I'm I'm curious. Um, certainly, he's grown yeah. a lot as a filmmaker in the intervening time, and um, and yeah, I don't know anything about the Donald Rumsfeld film, but um, I imagine it being along the lines of Fog of War in terms of a yeah interview based kind of uh, exploration. I will say, um, just to go on a complete digression, um, the 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 title there is like a reference to Donald Rumsfeld's famous statement about how there are, are known knowns. There are um, known unknowns, and there are unknown knowns, <laughs> and and he gets a lot of crap for it, but it's actually quite a valid observation um, that you know, and and I think I think Errol Morris will do a lot, if I'm not mistaken, Errol Morris will do a lot to defend my view that of all, the, I mean, if you want to call Donald Rumsfeld 
a horrible warmongering criminal who should be brought up on charges, I'm fine with that. But I think he gets too much slack for the known unknown thing. Oh, yeah. And I think Errol Morris will explore, you know, what it means. Because Errol Morris is really interested in how do we know something and what yeah. do we know and what do we not. I just read his book, The Wilderness of Error, oh, yeah. which is about the Jeffrey MacDonald killing and, yeah. and is a 550-page inquest into... What's you know that that case over the last thirty some years? It was a killing in nineteen seventy in Fort Bragg. This, do you know the case? Um, this guy, um, the cops get a call. They show up, and this guy who's an army doctor has been stabbed several times. His pregnant wife and two children have also been stabbed and murdered. Um, the suspicion falls on the doctor. Um, a lot of complications ensue. The short version is he's still in jail. At this point, he would be free, or at least eligible for parole, if he were willing to admit guilt. He steadfastly refuses to admit guilt, um, and the legal maneuverings continue. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a, he's somebody who's maintained this really intense inquisition in, in all his work, in what does it mean for something to be true or how do we know things, how, where do beliefs come from, in really entertaining ways. Like, yeah. right when I talk about that stuff, it's like, God, who'd want to read that? <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, a film like Tabloid, for instance, yeah. is relentlessly entertaining while actually being really interesting in terms of how we come to believe things yeah. about ourselves. So, um, I'm pretty much signed on yeah. for anything Errol Morris puts out. Yeah. <laughs> Him doing Donald Rumsfeld is very interesting to me. Yeah. Because Rumsfeld was kind of a full guy. Like he got, he was one of the only people who was booted from the Bush administration because of failings in 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 the you know not finding WMDs and all that. Um, Just furthermore, to his unknown known statement, he was also the guy who said, um, "We know where the WMDs are; they're in the area north, south, east, and west of Baghdad." Yeah, I imagine there's no shortage of uh, uh. <laughs> ideas that will be explored in his. Uh, um, that might be, um, given that sort of surreal comment, maybe I'll go <laughs> into um, uh, probably my most anticipated uh, surrealist film of the year, which is uh, Wrong from the director of Rubber, um, yeah, Quentin Dupieux? Dupieux. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, A.K.A. Mr. Oizo, is, which is his musician name and. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know much about it. Uh, I know that it played at Sundance, and then uh, some friends of mine saw it at Fantastic Fest. Um, Rubber, of course, was about a psychic tire who causes people's heads to explode, um, and was one of my favorite films of that year. Um, I I just love his wholehearted embrace of the surreal mm. combined with genre elements. Um, without really sacrificing on either, um, and the, just just the insane monologue that Rubber opens up with, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, talking about the cinema of no reason. Um, so I'm hoping for um, more of the same, uh, and I'm hoping that somebody brings it to New Zealand. So yeah. please do somebody. Um, and I think all you guys yes, uh, had do. wrong on your initial long lists. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Very much so. Um, rubber, uh, rubber, I saw at the movie marathon here one year and it played at, I think, six in the morning, something, yeah. which was the perfect time <laughs> to see it. Oh, it was fantastic. That's yeah. when I first saw it. And then, all three of us, yeah. And then I, I made some friends go and see it and they were... Bemused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they were wondering what, what the hell it was. Well, I rewatched it. It came out at the World Cinema Showcase yeah, and I rewatched it. It was not nearly as entertaining. Maybe because I knew it was coming, but also 
just your mind's in a special place it's mm. exciting yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah but no he's a fascinating truly unique filmmaker and I can't wait to see mm. his next film cool um, what's your next uh... well my next is um, is actually a concert film um, from Metallica uh, now I know this is uh, <laughs> <laughs> no apologies necessary no, 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 go on with it it's not going to be that highbrow but I love concert films um, the Chemical Brothers film Don't Think last year was awesome seeing that in cinema and this is a 3D concert film of my favourite band directed by um, Nimrod Antal who the only thing I've seen of his is Predators which was <laughs> not great, but apparently he's done some other things. He did Armored, which got a little bit of press, but I never saw it. And um, did he also do uh, Zemeri 13? Was that him, or was that somebody else? I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I, I really can't remember. I, Predators was the only thing my eyes kind of recognized. Um, but yeah, Metallica 3D concert film. Um, that's all I need to know. Cool. <laughs> uh, it'll almost definitely hit cinemas here. And um, I've got pretty much every Metallica concert on DVD, including bootlegs. Um, so yeah, just seeing seeing that in cinema will be great. Is it a straight up concert film or is it a concert doco? Um, I think it's. They said that it's. Lars said recently that it's um, inspired by the song that "Remains the Same" from Led Zeppelin. So it'll go from concert to um, like a short story leading up to the concert, from fan perspective and from the band members' perspective which may or may not have been real so certain little fantasies did oh, yeah. or something huh. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work but um, have you seen the song Remains the Same the I haven't no. no well neither so that went over my head when I was reading the comments but apparently that was a little bit existential in that way and that it would go sort of from a song and then go into a band member and then what they were thinking about before the concert right okay um, so that's interesting but primarily just seeing them perform live in 3D and surround sound would be great for me if it's uh, as good as the Katy Perry movie, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not the only person who's commented on the uh, Katy Perry movie. The Katy Perry movie's fantastic, and I don't like Katy Perry's music. I, but it's I liked it, too. Really? <laughs> it just, oh, you see, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah like the Sao, Paulo scene, the Sao Paulo scene is just so amazing. I, I, we won't get derailed into the Katy Perry movie. I can talk about it for hours. But actually, like, it turned... Okay, I'll just do free food derail. It... The idea of somebody who has, like, been through so many identities, right, as a Christian singer, as an Alanis Morissette clone, and then she comes up with this cotton candy identity, and she creates Katy Perry world where everything's always happy, and then encourages, it says all these songs about being yourself, but she has to be this creation every night. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm in the middle of the tour, like, you know, she's breaking up with Russell brand and like her life's falling apart and then she has to go on stage every night and perfectly made up and smiling and it's just like i use the word kafka-esque and somebody like was like did you really just use the word kafka-esque to describe a Katy perry concert movie i'm like yes i did and i'm not gonna back down from that anyway um yeah well worth a look Uh, (laughs) do you have any other movies besides Katy perry part of your 3d that are well worth a look on your list Uh, yeah okay i'll I'll throw up another one that's kind of like a a bit of a shoo-in really um is uh inside lewin davis which is the latest from the coen brothers which i think opens in a couple months in the states it's pretty soon yeah yeah it's pretty soon um uh, again it's the coen brothers um i've I've seen the trailer but i don't really want to know a whole lot about it i I am quite um happy to see that um oscar isaac's got a lead role um you'll probably remember him from um the role of the father boyfriend who got out of prison and drive Mm. Um, okay um and he was in uh 
Rachel Vice thing that played at the festival a few years ago called Agora, I think, um, which was is it yeah, Sucker Punch Rachel. and Robin Hood as well? Yeah, um, but I, I, yeah, I think he's a pretty decent actor. Who sort of hasn't had a great deal of really meaty roles, and I think this is something that'll sort of set him on the on a good path. So mm. interested to see that, and also. Um, and it's a folk music New York thing? Yeah. That right? yeah. That's I, kind I, of the setting I of like this 60s I get a sense that, he, that he's kind of a little bit of a Dylan-esque character mm. um, with a Cohen take on it. So it's yeah. not it's not a, like a true story or anything, but it's kind of filling around some of the iconography with Dylan. But I, I could be completely off with that. Um, there is another smaller part by a guy called Alex Karpolsky, um, who I'm interested right. to see, who played... Um, one of the key roles in uh, Beeswax, um, Bujowski's um, last film. I think he's in Computer Chess as well, isn't he? Or is he? I don't know if he's in uh, Computer okay. Chess or not. Which we'll talk about more yeah, later. Yeah, we'll talk about later. But, um, yeah, so Cohen's, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, I've... This this is the latest wave of Cohen films, um, uh, which has combined, like, No Country for Old Men and True Grit, True Grit. on the seriouser, seriouser side with um, Burn After Reading and A Serious Man. Yeah which is ironically not that serious. Uh, but it's kind of serious, but it's also incredibly yeah. funny on the other side. Um, it's been a real, like, ripping roar for them, is, mm. if mm. that's a phrase. Like, it's, those are four really fantastic films. And, you know, I was, I was a huge... I mean, I've watched everything they've done, and I was a huge fan. And then around Lady Killers... <laughs> Lady Killers was the first one where I'm like... Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and I'm like, oh, well, maybe they've lost it. And I think I think they had a couple like bad false starts. Like they were going to do To the White Sea with Brad Pitt, which was going to be a dialogue-free movie about a sailor, um, I think, in World War II getting shipwrecked. Um, and there were some other things that they were really excited about. I think kind of they lost some momentum and lost some yeah. um, presence in the public eye. And, um, yeah, with this new run of films, they've just been... Yeah, phenomenal. I just they jump around genre so much, and I mean, aside from Lady Killers and maybe one or two other sort of slightly lesser films, they nail it. And I'm like, how many? I don't know many other directors who can do so many different genres. Um, you know, crazy kind of psychological actiony things, um, just pure slight witty twisted comedies. Um, yeah, a western. You know, yeah, <laughs> that was fantastically shot. Yeah. But there's all there is a constant voice to it yeah, all yeah. as well, you know. I mean, you can definitely like, even though they're all different genres, yeah, they're, they're, they're not. They're, there's a Coen Brothers flavor mm-hmm. to all of even something as seriously minded as No Country for Old mm-hmm. Men. Yeah. You know, there's still you you have flashbacks to Blood Simple at points, yeah, and yeah. you have and, and you know, Anton Chigurh's way of, way yeah, of yeah. Um, communicating, and that is very Coen. Yeah. Um, cool. I will. Um, mention another director who has been a long-time favorite and really consistent for me, um, who's Claire Denis, uh, mm. who's uh, made uh, Beau Travail. Um, in fact, she's going to have quite a few films at the Film Society this Society, year. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, they're doing th- a bunch, right? Yeah, Beau yeah. Travail, 35 Shots of Rum. Um, I think they're doing... Trouble um, White Material. Trouble Every Day, yeah, which is the Vincent Gallo vampire film. White, White Material, Material, which is her African colonial mm-hmm. film, or one of her African colonial Very films. Um, and f- um, she also made a film that is really dear to my heart called um, Friday Night, or Vendredi Soir, which is a sort of... 
it's sort of a really minor key. It's almost like a before sunrise set in, um, I think, Paris, somewhere in France, certainly, where this woman's trying to get out of town to um, this family dinner, and there's just a traffic jam and everywhere is stuck. And then she gets stuck in town and winds up meeting this guy. And it's just one of the most beautiful um, one-night stand romance films of all time. Uh, I've seen it two or three times now, and it always sticks with me. And she has a new film, and it's called The Bastards, and I know nothing about it, and I'm there. That's <laughs> I've seen one still, um, um, and I think it's French language. Most of her films have been French language. Um, but uh, she, she also did The Intruder from 2004, which was a globe-trotting one. Um, and yeah, she just has this really... Um, I wasn't a huge fan of White Material, but I've been a fan of most of her other films. And she just had, uh, I think because of her working method, she'll often shoot scenes in a lot of different ways and burn quite a lot of film. And she, as a result, I think she gets these moments with actors that aren't necessarily scripted, that are just really um, honest and pure and communicate things, are, are far more expressive than a lot of words would be um, Beautreville, um is remains the only film to make me cry by a character breaking into a dance, which is <laughs> wow. uh, it's a <laughs> I I I can't explain it. I've seen it twice. It did it both times. It's Dennis Levant who is the star of Holy mm. Motors, and the, of course he's a physical genius, so that helps. But um, wow, yeah, she's she, she's just alchemic and. Um, I'm hoping that this year at Film Society um, brings a whole lot of new Claire Denis fans because um, she's been building an amazing body of work and I think is is perhaps a bit under-recognized as a name by mm. um, a lot of people who would find her work really valuable. That said, White Material was kind of high-profile. I wasn't a big fan, but lots of other people have loved it. But yeah, mm. all those other films, big thumbs up. Okay, um, the film that I'm probably most embarrassed to have on my list is um, is Man of Steel. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which is that sounds the... about right. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, well, it's a it's a Superman film being directed by Zack Snyder. It was in part produced by uh, Christopher Nolan, written by David Escoya, who wrote the the Dark Knight trilogy. So what I'm hoping for is something as visually astonishing as Zack Snyder is capable of, which we saw in Three Hundred. Sucker Punch and Watchmen with some of the with his he does get obviously a little bit carried away with his story uh, and that they turn to shit <laughs> um, but hopefully with Goya and Nolan sort of reining him in there'll be a a much higher set of sensibilities attached to this it is going down what looks to be that gritty shitty edgy Hollywood would probably call it road that you mentioned before that you don't yeah. like and that is a little bit concerning, but I don't see how it can because it's Superman. Um, I think they're just trying to make everything gritty. I mean, that's the thing, and that's my that was my reaction to the trailer. It's like we have lots of gritty heroes. Why do we need Superman to be one? Uh, <laughs> we need Superman to be one because Superman Returns underperformed and Dark Knight was huge. So if we make the new <laughs> Superman movie look like Dark Knight, then it'll be great. Mm. And it's like really. Can't we just have Superman be awesome and be done with it? You know, <laughs> um, we still got a shiny suit. I mean, you're gonna surely like that. 
I, uh, I'll tell you, uh, Amy Adams is in it. That's what I like. Yeah. So, you know, um, not to be too. As a, um, yeah, the supporting cast is pretty good. Uh, Michael Shannon is as the villain will be pretty. He's General Zod, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that's. I mean, that's I will cool. say I still have a very soft spot in my heart for Superman too, although I haven't watched it in ages. But um, the fact that they're going back to that kind of. Um, is exciting. Do, do we know for sure that it's going to be dark and gritty, or is that just something we're reading? It's just the, the images from the trailer. It, I mean, certainly, yeah, like in terms of, of color grade and color choices, yeah. it's going to have that feel. Yeah. And they, if 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 it's more pulpy, they haven't led on to that. The tone of the trailer is very much him finding out who he is and coming to yeah, terms yeah. his power, and that's the thing. But the music is kind of epically emotional. Yeah. Um, Kurt Russell, sorry, um, Kevin Costner. And uh, Russell Crowe are also um, supporting actors. Oh, yeah. Was that a Django Unchained uh, slip of the tongue there? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know where Kurt Russell for a bit. There was a combination of those two. Um, But yeah, no, that's just one. I just, I I think Zack Snyder is um, uh, visually one of the most exciting um, filmmakers in, in Hollywood at the moment. He's let me down a few times, as he has a lot of his, as he has Warner Brothers, but. I've only seen Watchmen, which um, I I'm a huge fan of the original Watchmen comic, and sure. I I really struggled with that in terms of his choices of actors, in terms of taking what were basically normal people in the comic book in a lot of cases, and suddenly giving them hyped up powers above and beyond what they had. I I just thought it. It was a poor mix of um, director I, I, to that, and I haven't seen anything else by him, so I've kind of judged. His Dawn of the Dead that. film is actually. Oh, quite sorry, good. I, I will agree with that. Dawn of the Dead was great. Um, amazingly, because the original, as soon as they were making Dawn of the Dead, I was like, yeah. "Get what? Yeah. what Fuck off!" Yeah. But um, the thing, like, what I there's certain things I like with what I think even visually, Watchmen was great. It was just there was reading that comic, there was revelations in it character wise that blew my mind. That just kind of landed with a, just a thud in the film, right. um, but visually, like matching it, how he changed, how he shot the film worked for me in a lot of in a lot of cases. It just looked like a, a like the comic, but right. um, with with actual people. And like Doctor Manhattan looked amazing. I thought. Yeah, I suppose um, I'm underselling some of the things that work in terms of some of it that didn't. And in some cases, I think actually his fidelity to the original work was to its detriment. There was stuff lines that worked yeah. on the page that were kind of throwaway that on screen just felt a little clunky and I don't know if that was the acting or if it's just like actually well I mean it's his fault as the director he he should have gotten better performances and made it work better and he didn't which sucks but uh, (laughs) uh, but you know visually it it, it did wow me a lot and I can't wait to see what he does with Superman cool cool Cool. okay uh, next thing I've got is uh, I guess it's not strictly a documentary maybe a docudrama um stories we tell by sarah polly it's it's which is a look at the way we the way people remember truth and remember people and how memory kind of twists story well that everyone's truth is slightly different everyone's perception of events and um angles are, are very interesting but it, for her it's a very interesting story because it's highly personal it's the story of her parentage um and it was something that she worked really hard to kind of keep quiet from the media um, until the film was complete and it was out um, and, it, and it sort of touches on her mother and her father and various things in her family um, that uh, were 
and, and I guess the the way that they see themselves and the way that everyone else saw them. I think her mother's passed away um, and her father's still alive. Um, but yeah, it just sounded fascinating. And uh, I really enjoyed um, Away From Her, um, which was, I think, her directorial debut. Yes, about it was, a couple yeah. of uh, older people, someone slipping into relatively young, but um, into dementia, uh, Alzheimer's, I think, and, um, and how large portions of the relationship were kind of forgotten and then some parts were remembered too well and, and, and sort of a fracturing of a relationship and then how a long-term love kind of was applied to try and bridge some of that stuff um, as, as old, it was re- I found it fascinating dramatically it was beautiful yeah. I mean um, yeah and, and also just you, it's so rare that you get yeah. to see involving movies between older actors yeah. older characters yeah. on screen you know and I really appreciate that even when they don't work for me and when they do work for me like there or yeah. um, Innocence or more, you know, yeah. it's really stunning. So, yeah, so this is this is a somewhat more personal story for her, and not strictly speaking a documentary, but very much around a around a true story, but about what what is truth and what are, and hence the title of the stories we tell. Yeah, so that looks fascinating, and I'm I've been working the NZFF crowd to. Ensure that we well I think I think uh, I, it's it's certainly gotten a lot of hype and it has Palace in Australia has yeah. got it so yeah who are fucking amazing distributors yeah. um, they put on uh, the loneliest planet uh, taboo mm. uh, at the last festival as well as a Caesar must die which I didn't see and another one that I can't remember but loneliest planet and taboo were two yeah. of my three favorite films of the festival yeah. so um, I have a lot of time for any, you know, just kind of a bit of a stamp if Palace picks it up. It's like, yeah, so I'm fairly, I'm fairly, fairly confident that it will come to fest at least. It sounds like something Bill would get right behind. Yeah, too. yeah. yeah. Well, he saw it at um, Toronto. Yeah, and really loved it. So yeah, so sweet. that seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, did you see Take This Waltz? That was your second no, film I with haven't. Michelle Williams. Yeah, and Michelle stuff Williams. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to see it, but I haven't. Um, I just didn't get, get to it. I, I watched five minutes of it on Netflix when I was at home at my brother's, and I couldn't deal with it, but maybe I'll give it another go. But it In just, what sense? Uh, it just seemed really arch and cutesy. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was just... Yeah. It, it yeah really um, was a bit oil and water for me. Um, but, um, yeah, but it's, having said that, Sarah Powell is still quite young, and mm. um, Away From Her was an excellent film, and I'm and this film has gotten so many... Yeah. Um, positive reviews that I'm really curious. And she had um, an interesting career arc as well, with a lot, doing a lot of acting and and. Yeah, well, and she was in the Sweet Hereafter, which yeah. you know, and she, and was it Moonchausen, one of the early Gilliam films? Uh, I think so. And she was yeah. um, Splice. Ah, yes, yeah. Um, which wasn't so fab. The Vincenzo Natale. Um, I enjoyed it, but yeah, yeah I mean, I know she was cool. Um, and and I think uh, oh, she was in another thing that came to feast a few years ago called the. Uh, the silence of words or something like that. Uh, the secret life of secret life of words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a Tim, yeah, film yeah. with yeah, Tim Robbins. Tim yeah. Robbins, which I actually quite enjoyed, and she was really good yeah. in it. Yeah, she's a great performer, and um, it's it'd be nice to see her in more things. But mm. if it means that she gets to direct yeah. films and so on, um, from the sublime to the potentially ridiculous. Um, let's see if I can say this name without cracking up the day of the real perfect plesiosaur um, <laughs> well, I said it without cracking up um, now why is the day of the real perfect plesiosaur on my list it's because it is by one of my favorite directors in the world I know I've said this a couple times people but 
um, it's very true here, uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, um, who is a bloody genius. Um, if you haven't, if you're a horror film fan and you haven't seen Cure or Pulse, aka Cairo or a Seance, um, those are three of the greatest J horrors ever made. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then on top of that, he he's made some other interesting films that kind of play with the genre a bit more. There's a film called Doppelganger that goes more into black comedy while playing with some of those horrors. There's a film called Charisma, which is very, very strange, but um, has almost a Jacques Tati feel while being like really existential and weird mm. about like this this um, tree that's possessed that's killing other trees in the forest and it's 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 really bizarre he goes out there and um, um and and so he's um but and he's just an expert director in the art of the long take and the art of the slow burn mm. i mean i guess when when i mentioned tai west before mm. i should have mentioned kiyoshi kurosawa in the same breath because some of the only times that i've had that kind of almost sleep paralysis feeling like sense of horror in a theater are at his films. Mm. Um, and he, he's struggled in recent years because he's wanted to break away from horror and hasn't had a lot of support. He did a film called Tokyo Sonata, which I think went straight to DVD here, which is quite good um, and is more of a family film and le- and more about the relationships within a family. And there's sort of a action horror suspense element that comes in the third act that feels a little bit shoehorned although it features Koji Yukusho who's great um but um this all I know about the day of the real perfect plesiosaur apart from the name is that it has sci-fi in it and that it's his first film since 2008 apart from a five-hour miniseries he's done called Penance which has got mixed reviews overseas so it's his return to feature filmmaking after a sustained absence um because he was quite prolific for a while I mean Mm. he was putting out one or two films a year and I think part of that was the the crest of the J horror wave sort of mm-hmm. receded, and also that him consciously trying to distance himself from some of that. Um, yeah, must see for me. So you're a Kurosawa fan as well. Yeah, especially Pulse and and Cure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He is. Uh, it's it's much much less accessible, I think, than a lot of J horror. But if you uh, if you, if you can handle slower movies, then the delivery the the payoff in them are fantastic. Did you like Retribution? Right. I haven't seen Retribution. Okay, yeah, I because I, I enjoyed that as well. But uh, I played at the Incredibly Strange Festival, two thousand five, two thousand six, somewhere around there. Which um, and I I I seem to get a mixed reception there. But I love that one as well. Um, although I wouldn't put it on the same level as Cure or Pulse, but. I mean, I wouldn't put most cinema on the same level as Cure Pulse, so that's not really an insult, you know? Um, cool, what's next for you? Uh, next on my list is The Act of Killing, which is a oh, yeah. a documentary that um, uh, that played at a festival recently. It's from Joshua Oppenheimer, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe he's an American um, filmmaker. Uh, and it's about some Indonesian uh, kill squads. Did I get that right? yeah. Um, but I remember Werner Herzog and a couple of other people bigged this film up after seeing it. And it sounds... Errol Morris, I think, as well. Yeah. It sounds very troubling in that they um, they basically talked to these um, soldiers or um, mercenaries or assassins or whatever they were to government agents who basically just executed bunches of people. And they talked to them about it and get them to recreate it. Um, 
apparently in increasingly kind of ridiculous over the top ways with prosthetics and all sorts of things which sounds morally dubious to be honest um, but that in itself is intriguing to me I want to see it and then make up mm-hmm. my mind and um, it just sounds like a exploration of the dark side of humanity that you know find morbidly fascinating and um, there was a review of it, I think, on The Guardian, um, yeah. and I read about the first couple of paragraphs and then thought, nope, I'm not going to read anymore. Yeah. But, um, yeah, very looking forward to that one. I actually tweeted the um, the film fest about it, and they uh, they seemed positive. Yeah. Yeah, it played at Fantastic Fest and uh, got quite a few positive reviews there. I think uh, Drew McWeeny wound up putting it near the top ten of his year after seeing it there, not yeah. just at the fest, but of the whole year. And, uh yeah, I think I think it does. From what I've heard about it, um, and I know a bit more than what you've said, but I'm reluctant to spoil it. But it does grapple with the morality mm. of that, and and trying to confront, you know, these killers with the morality of what they have done, and not just glorify it. So um, it it sounds like, yeah, an interesting jump into some very dark areas, but also very potentially. Um, considered and um, mm. uh, difficult but rewarding film that's not just shocking for shock's sake mm. that's, uh, my, that's my hope yeah I think that that made um, got a, a good write up in, um, in Bill's Toronto report as well I think so I think that's yeah, right yeah, there's yeah, a good yeah. chance that, that the um, festival will work hard to get it so. cool what's next on your list um, okay I think I'll go now with um uh, something called The East. Oh, yeah. Which is um, the second collaboration by uh, Britt Marling and Zal Batmangli, um, who did um, last year's festival, they did... Oh, Sound of My Voice. Sound of My Voice, that's right, yeah. yeah. Which um, got on my top ten of last year. I ended up missing um, that, man. I'm so... It's really good. It's In it's some really ways good. it's low budget, and, and it wasn't a perfect film, though. Like, there were... There were some things that I found a bit glaring in it, um, in terms of the way that it was. Um, uh, some of some of the dialogue um, and and a couple of um, things to do with the premise, but utterly fascinating film. And Marling is magnetic to watch. Yeah. Um, so Sound she, of my she's voice is an inspiring like first film in yeah. terms of like any person who's thinking of making their first film should look at that because yeah. it's a film of very modest means. means yeah, that's very clever. And gets a lot of drama out of a very small number of locations and situations, and even actors, really, for the most yeah. part, except for some... I mean, the kids are a bit... Mu- yeah. But, you know, um, without seeming overly, like, constrained. Just you smartly know, put together. And- yeah, and, and just, yeah, just razor sharp in its editing. Yeah. You know, I mean, just the, the cuts from the bits to bits, I just like, you know, just... And so, I yeah. must I must watch that. I was disappointed I missed that. But festivals, what are you going to do? Yeah, you yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. You got to see. Yeah. And, and, and of interest to some people, um, Zalbert Mangley, the director, is the um, brother of the guitarist from um, Vampire Weekend, Russell right. Mangley. Um, yeah. And I think, or Bat Manglage, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, and um, he he scored um, Sound of My Voice. So I don't know if he's going to be working on this one as well, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I saw the trailer, but I actually uh, I saw a whole lot of trailers in the last <laughs> week or so, um, and they've kind of blended, and I can't remember exactly what it was about. My recollection I'm was it that. about somebody infiltrating like a anti-government group yes, of some kind. Yes, yes, um, yeah, and good. that's 
um, which is similar to the yeah. premise of another film you have on your list. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, see, um, that's why I got confused because I thought, oh, yeah. actually, that sounds a bit like. Mm. Yeah, but um, it it it's bound to be fascinating. Shit. So, um, Batmanglia and Marling co-wrote. Um, I think she's starring in it again, and he's directing. So, um, it worked last time. Um, I'm pretty excited to see if it's going to work again. Yeah, it's one of the films along with like Ain't Them Body Saints and Escape from Tomorrow that's gotten quite a bit of. Um, uh, uh, Sundance vibes yeah. so I'm pretty excited and as long with a couple others that we'll be yeah. discussing um, what will I go off from that um, why don't I go a complete I'll go for a, a kids film because um, <laughs> you know probably what you're expecting at this point is uh, Monsters University um <laughs> So I, 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 except for Cars two, I've seen every Pixar film in the theater. Um, no, I think I might have missed a Bug's Life in the theater. So, but I've seen most of them in the theater, and um, probably my favorite theatrical experience was Monsters Inc. There's arguments that it's not the best of all the Pixar films, and I'll go with that. But I, there's no film that I spent longer with the smile on my face. Um, just the sheer imagination of that universe and the character design. <laughs> um, it was just a glorious place to spend uh, any length of time. And there's part of me that hopes dearly that Monsters University doesn't even bother having a plot, that it's just like a <laughs> hundred minutes of just hanging out with cool monsters and excuses for, you know, crazy gags. Like there's a great gag at the start of Monsters, Inc. where a couple of them are going to work and one of them is like a gelatinous blob and he like goes over the um storm drain and then all of a sudden slides into it um if they could fill up 100 minutes with that i'm happy if they wind up having a plot that moves people and everything else and that's just icing on the cake but um yeah i kind of feel bad because there's also a new miyazaki film this year um and like in terms of cartoons that's probably also up there in terms of my anticipation levels um i don't know much about the miyazaki film i i think it's supposed to be a bit darker and and uh, perhaps not as joyful as Ponyo or Totoro or some of his other films. But um, as much as I dearly love Miyazaki, I have to say that as far as animated films go, Monsters University is it for me this year. I, I like that you've got a list that includes um, Kiristami <laughs> and Monsters University. And and Monsters <laughs> Well, I mean, and, and, you know, I mean, I'll go see Fast and Furious 6 as well. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, the thing is, like, Whatever you're doing, do it well and do it with yeah. commitment. Yeah. And if I'm interested in what it is and it has a good energy about it, I'll enjoy it. And there's nothing worse whether it's a mainstream Hollywood film or a small independent film than a film that's made for cynical reasons. Hmm. And when you watch Pixar films, for instance, you have this feeling that everybody is really... It, that it's a passion, mm. you know, that it's something that they really care about. And when you see, like, some of the other spin-offs from some of the other animation studios that are big right now with the releases, it's just like, oh, what if we did the last movie we did, but it's underwater, and we throw a bunch of pop culture references in it, and wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if, you know, you have some fish dancing the lombata or whatever, you know? <laughs> like, um, and, and, and similarly, like, I mean, you don't make a movie like Fast Five, by accident, you know, you yeah. do it because you're somebody who cares 
about how action direction looks on screen. Yeah. You you care about these things, and that's I guess that's the thing that's like as as different as all these films are, right? You know, as different as a Thai West film is from a Kurosami film, you know, from a Quentin Dupieux film, like there are people who are really passionate mm. about that view of the world and have a really clear sense of what their cinematic universe is and put that out. And if you have that clarity, um, you're nine tenths of the way there for me. And even if I, it turns out that it's something I'm not particularly interested in at the end of it, I'll still have a deep level of respect for the film mm. for having that and not for having been a test marketed segmented thing. Yeah. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I, uh, Rant the, off. <laughs> the uh, the Miyazaki film I'm particularly looking forward to. His darker films, like um, actually uh, Nausicaa, Nausicaa and Spirited Away are both particularly Nausicaa is quite dark, um, but those are my two favourite. Interesting. Um, yeah. Miyazaki films. You probably know that Totoro is my favourite. I do know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, but no, I can't. I really can't wait to see that. Yeah. Um, so what's next for you? Um, next for me will be Elysium, which is the mm. uh, the new film from Neil Blomkamp, mm. yeah. um, who shot to international superstardom with uh, District 9 a few years ago, produced by Peter Jackson, um, which was just an incredible sci-fi action. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I'm a um, District 9 fan as well. And it was it also played with um, you know with he's South African and it played with the race relations or the politics of his country that are obviously a big part of his personality and most people who live in South Africa mm. and it did that in quite an interesting way fairly on the nose yeah. but um, but, <laughs> but in a way that is you know universally appealing and, and I think was really good yeah, I, I don't think it needed subtlety <laughs> <laughs> and I mean the mix the, the mix suit that happened in the second half of that film was probably the coolest mix suit ever put to yeah, man, it was just incredible cool <laughs> yeah. um, the new film Elysium stars Matt Damon in the lead and it's um, Jodie Foster's in it too right yes yeah mm. interesting um, it's a two-wheeled... Uh, Another sci-fi one, then? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, there's a, there's no trailer out. There's a still out, which is Matt Damon, and it's kind of an exoskeleton-looking oh, yeah. thing holding a gun. Um, he's an enforcer of... Um, I think it's... The rich live in uh, some sort of space oh, station yeah, above yeah, the world, yeah. and... Yeah. I might be getting confused. There's Oblivion with Tom Cruise or something similar, and there's a Will Smith movie coming out, which is kind of similar <laughs> as well. Yeah. There's a lot of sci-fi in this year. A lot of big blockbusters wow. sci-fi. There's also, um, I know Oblivion's from the guy who did Tron Legacy. Right. But yeah, Elysium is um, rich world, poor world, yeah. politics, sci-fi, action. It'll be great. I've read an anecdote about Matt Damon being dropped in a um, big vat of excrement for it, amongst other things. Um so it sounds like it'll be another, <laughs> another like actual excrement. So, so apparently it's another um, another quite gritty um, sort of uh, film. For that's genuine I, gritty though, right? Like like yeah. the way the way District Nine. If something's gritty yeah. in that way, yeah, that's great. If it, yeah. if it's gritty to for the sake of being edgy or whatever, then it can be rubbish. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I I as much as I was bitching about gritty before, I think. For me, it's something about... It, it's not like gritty intrinsically bothers me. It's making everything gritty that bothers me. And it's and certainly District well, 9... Hollywood gritty is, is generally bad. Well, yeah, that's true as well. And, and District 9 was very... I mean, a gritty film, but, like, it earned it. It was That's what it was supposed to be. You know, it was very much, 
Like, but I mean, it wasn't like making a Superman film that's all gritty, where it's like you have something that should be. But this it was, it was a sci-fi translation of a shantytown, really. Yeah, um, which is what happened. Um, and in terms of the visuals, they weren't dark. They were like a lot of it was really quite bright and you know middle of the day sunshine South Africa kind of thing. Yeah, um, but just in an impoverished, impoverished. Yeah. But from production yeah. production design, it was still pretty yeah gritty, you yeah, know. Yeah. Oh, um, gritty in that yeah, yeah in, the, in that sense. But yeah, no, I loved it, and I I'm lo- really looking forward to Elysium or Elysium or however it's. Um, I always thought it was Elysium, but it'll be interesting to see when it comes out what it actually turns out to be. But um, and uh, yeah, I'm a big Matt Damon fan. Actually, is that, is that embarrassing to admit? <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Okay, yeah, it's yeah, it, he's fantastic. He's he's one. I th- I reckon thanks to Team America, he's become one of america's most underrated actors and and it just his points i mean the informant for instance the you know great. um the informant you know that anyone could do the born films and turn around and do the informant i mean that's real range mm. you know and um and he just keeps I'm kind of interested to say he's in um that film with michael douglas the uh Oh, the Liberace film. Yeah. Yeah, Steven Soderbergh, who's, um, yeah, I almost, um, I had side effects as well, which is the last Soderbergh film that before he takes his supposed retirement. But um, the Liberace one, I think, is a, going to HBO as either a miniseries or an yeah. extended movie. But, but yeah, Behind the Candelabra, it. it's pretty cool that he's doing it. Um, yeah. Just to mix it up even further. Um, but yeah, but like the thing with Team America, I read an interview where they, they didn't actually mean to bully him in the film so much it was just that when they made the puppet of Matt Damon it looked so um, it looked so special needs that they just wanted to kind of mock it they couldn't help but do that uh, but yeah so he and, and interviews with Matt Damon he's like he's, they said do people ever come up to you and say Matt Damon he's like every day <laughs> every day I don't know if they still do after Born Ultimatum and stuff but, yeah. but he's, a, he's a good actor and yeah. Ben Affleck is is also a pretty good director. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, between um, Gone Baby Gone and Argo, those are two um, fantastic works. Of, and and I be the, the I still towns, haven't seen Towns kind of fun. I still haven't seen the Towns director cut. I I liked it okay, but I kind of get it got a little bored with it. But oh, did he curious. direct that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, that wasn't too bad. Yeah. yeah. So what's next for uh, you? Uh, for me, okay, I'll go with um, with only lovers left alive. So this is a, this is this is a, a, a vampire um, oh love triangle. Ooh, um, uh, vampires are hot, right? So just yeah, like Twilight or something. Yeah, I think it must be. <laughs> except it's Jim Jarmusch, who ah. I haven't seen the film from in a long time. Did you not see Limits of Control? I did. But was that, that was, the that last was, one? Yeah, I think so. That was like what two thousand eight or something. Nine? Yeah, I guess it has been a while, huh? That's like four or five years ago, maybe. Yeah. Um, which I loved, and a whole lot of people hated. I really loved Limits of Control, but I can understand. Did you see it? I didn't see it. I, yeah. and I the main feedback I got from it was that the Civic real, yeah, up the- yeah. I, I was, I was. Yeah. No, that wasn't the Civic Man. That was the um, the film reel was wrong right um, the, okay. the, the dialogue um, what was the audio was out by about two minutes but because of oh the nature God. of the film and that it was Jamush you kind of had to wonder for about five minutes because <laughs> you're going okay there are like silences where people are talking and there's some sub- the odd subtitle but nothing is happening and then later on a whole bunch of stuff comes out yeah and it was just the first reel was completely like two minutes out of sync um, it was nuts um, yeah. It's a bit too surrealist. I'm really glad I missed <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I saw it on DVD and I really enjoyed it, but it is. And really I, I think they, they arranged another screening for it, um, and I saw that as well. And then I, yeah, I, I loved it, but it was quite so moving and whatever. But I love Jamush on the whole. Um, 
So I'm really interested to see what he does with a vampire thing, because as Doug knows, I've got a bit of a vampire... A fetish is not the right word. <laughs> Fascination from when I was young. I used to have lots sure. of nightmares about vampires, and then it kind of built itself into my psyche. Um, so I don't really like things like Twilight, which to me ignore all vampire lore. Um, from I, don't, I don't think vampire fans consider Twilight vampire. No, um, but there's a whole bunch of stuff like the rest of the that's world. That's why, that's why I really liked um, Thirst, which played with some interesting stuff, and, and, and like you know. Pak Chang-wook is an interesting director. Um, but I, yeah, Jamush doing vampires, yeah, I'm into it. Man, that, that looks pretty cool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm actually wearing my Jam Jamush <laughs> down my long shirt right yeah, at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, there, there's That's some films of That's one of my favorite openings to a film ever, is that um, Down the River. Yeah, Down by Law, Dead Man, Ghost Dog, you know, there's so many great um, Jamush films. And, yeah. Um, Coffin cigarettes. Yeah, um, yeah I, I'm... I, w- I wasn't a big fan of what was the Bill Murray one, Broken Flowers. Broken Flowers. Yeah, a lot yep. of people didn't really like that. And I, yeah. I, I did like that. I, I enjoyed it. I, I but it's, was yeah, it's not, into it. It was, yeah. wasn't his top notch, but I still yeah. thought it was quite cool. Yeah. Cool. So I've got another one from a filmmaker who's been gone a few years and is hopefully going to come back with something amazing. And it's going to give the day of the real perfect plesiosaur a uh, run for its money in terms <laughs> of absurd titles. A pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. <laughs> That's just going to send him right in. Okay, so why do I want to see that? Um, Roy Anderson. Oh, uh, Roy Anderson. Yeah, yeah so nice. Roy Anderson is a Swedish... Swedish director. Yes. Definitely. Okay. Um, and he's really interesting because he made a couple films, I think, in the 60s, 70s. Swedish Love Story. Um, yeah. Them, which was fantastic. I, I haven't it. seen that. Um, it played... Um, it was, uh, they had a, a retrospective of a few of his things, and I saw a couple of them. That one included... Oh, wow. Okay, because, yeah, he did that in Gilead. And then he took, like... 25 or 30 yeah. years off feature directing and then songs did advertisements the, and then yeah and then thing? songs no, from the second floor, second floor that's right. and um, completely well. reinvented his style right because mm. I mean um, the early stuff is like a romantic comedy well no but, no there were, there were like shades of his okay. style like it wasn't a it was a plainer narrative, but there was there was like I would say it, it was reminiscent in some ways of um, Bresson, his earlier stuff, right? Which um, is not something you'd associate with his later work. No. Um, so both songs from the second floor and his um, more recent film, You the Living, mm. are. Um, Basically, both of them can be described as a series of tableaus where it's mm. like they'll often put the camera in one place and have a thing for like three or four minutes. It's almost like a little skit and they'll kind of go to the next skit. And it's sort of like Monty Python crossed with Fellini, crossed with heroin. Uh, in yeah. terms of just this like slow, like weird pace to it there's this there's a surreal edge to it there's an absurdist edge to it there's a i'll I'll give a gag away from you the living to kind of give you a sense of it um there's a scene in you the living where um uh this guy is relaying this dream and it talks about how he's at this dinner and um he's he's talking about how he's going to do this trick where he pulls the tablecloth off a table so he's at this really long table with like 20 place settings at it and it's this torturous like minute of a half of him like sort of pulling at the edge and everybody looking on being slightly worried and finally he pulls it and of course all the plates go to the edge and you have that but then under the table like inlaid is this sign of a swastika and so it's like this sort of like all of a sudden like wait what you know and um and so there's this sort of humorous edge and this dark edge all at once and um 
And and Youth of Living in particular does this sort of interesting trick where it starts off as a comedy. Um, and there's a lot of quite funny scenes. There's this overweight tuba player. There's all these there's scenes like that um, that are, you know just this dark comedy edge um, and these and quite intense set design as well. Um, and somewhere along the way, it just stops being funny, and not because um, not by accident. It's it morphs mm. from being a comedy to actually like. It being something a lot darker and a lot sadder, and mm-hmm. um, it ends on almost a Doctor Strangelove-esque kind of note, where it's really taking you somewhere. And it's just, um, and his working method is fascinating because he still makes all his money making commercials, and when he's made enough commercials, he'll shoot another scene for his film. And so this film has been, you know, I mean, it's just he's just cobbling away and you know getting all these scenes, and he has to build these very complicated sets for a lot of them. Um, there's a scene in You the Living that involves a train-based set that's ludicrously complex and brilliant. And and so, yeah, I I don't know what to... I'm just expecting more of the same mm. from the next one. It may be his last film. I think he said it's going to be his last film. And if it's anything like You the Living, then it will be one of my favorite films of the year. I really want to see you the living. Yeah. Well, I, I've got a copy of it, so maybe we'll have a movie night. Oh, yeah, we should, I've got it on DVD, so yeah. Because he did Songs we'll... from the Second, and then I think he did Songs from the yeah. Seventh or something. Or oh, the no, it's the same film, Songs from the Second Floor. Yeah. Mm. So I've got it. Yeah, maybe we'll do a Roy Anderson double feature. And he's done some short films as well that are quite intense, and some of his advertisements are quite brilliant as well. He's got a very kind of like Roy Anderson y kind mm. of feel to all his stuff at this point, which now his commercials kind of have that as well, which is this sort of dour surrealism (laughs) that's super fun um, if you're into dourness. (laughs) Daniel, what's your... uh... My next one is uh, The World's End, which is from uh, Edgar Wright. Oh, Oh, right, yes. yes. Mm. Starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Yeah, I saw some tweets about that. And it's the third third in their unofficial... Uh, Cornetto trilogy. Oh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> following uh, Shaun of the Dead um, and Hot Fuzz and Hot Fuzz, yeah. And it's about a group of guys uh, getting together, who are, I think high school or, or, or university buddies, and they're getting back together to go on like a pub crawl. I think as a stag do of one of them. Mm. And Armageddon starts to go down. I think or they're, or they're trying to get to a pub called The World's End. Yes, and then the world does actually start. To end. <laughs> I think the just a bit. Um, but again, it's one of those ones I don't want to know much about apart from who's making it. Yeah, and those yeah. guys making a third film, those guys are true geniuses in, yeah. in particularly in scripting and and then realising that script. Shaun of the Dead is one of the best written uh, comedy films that I've, I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah the way the script kind of repeats itself. Um you know, you, and there's just so many things in it that I really, really dig. So seeing those guys get back together, there's also uh, Martin Freeman. Oh, is really? Also in it. Mm, that's exciting because um, I can imagine his sensibilities showing well. Yeah, and Martin. Yeah, and Martin Freeman is always Martin Freeman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so him working under Edgar Wright is going to be great. Edgar Wright is just such an amazing director. So what um, what are your feelings on Edgar Wright? Because I, oh, I love some... him, man. Okay. Um, uh, like for me, um. A, one of the things that happens in a lot of cinema, cinema nowadays that you you referred to as being sometimes cynical, um, let's weave in a bunch of cultural references and touchstones. 
Um, there are films that do that a lot, and they do it in what I feel like a, a really kind of, like you say, a, quite a designed, clunky kind of way of like, oh, let's get some cachet by putting a reference in here. One of the films that I saw like that, not everyone agrees, is Zombieland. Right. Where it was like, oh, well, let's throw out this reference, let's throw out this one. Um, aside from having a really good cameo from Bill Murray, um, it, it, for me it was just a lot of surface level, tick this box, tick this box, yeah, cool, cool. Um, but people who do that and really love it, and because they love cinema and they sue so much and they weave it into their work, Tarantino and Edgar Wright um, do this brilliantly. And they do it with no ounce of cynicism. It's with a, just a love for cinema. And they've got so much stuff in there that, you know, you listen to the special features and the commentary tracks and all that kind of stuff, and you see how many film references they make but that are not super obvious. They're just weaved into the to making of the film because... They love that moment. They hire a particular actor because of a particular role they did, and they put them in this part because of that role, and then they give them this line, um, mm. that if you know that, that character actor and you know that role, then something will twig and you go, oh, nice. Um, but if you're not, it still works in the film, you know? Yeah. It's, like, it's interesting you say that because that's actually like one of my... like as much, um, Django Unchained has a moment like that. That's one of my least favorite moments in the film. because And I love the film, but it's quite winky. And... Um, I I loved Shaun of the Dead, and I was not a huge fan of Hot Fuzz and enjoyed Scott Pilgrim to some extent, but um, I struggle a little bit with, um, I don't know, there was there was a, there was sort of a, lo- a looser energy to Shaun of the Dead that as Edgar Wright's probably become more talented as a director, the films get more and more locked down and... And don't mm. and there there's a similar arc that I had with Wes Anderson actually where oh, yeah. I really really loved Bottle Rocket and then um, and where you know there was obviously it's a Wes Anderson film but he didn't have the budget he didn't have all the control of everything and so uh, and by the time you get to Royal Tenenbaums it's like everything in this universe is the same font and it's it feels like <laughs> quite oppressive and I'm like oh my god get me out of here you know I just want to mm. want to breathe for a second and stop stop whooshing and swishing and um and so I have this sort of mixed feeling where like as a human being and everything I read about Edgar Wright like I really dig what he's doing and dig like his commitment to it but um and and spaced before Shaun of the yeah, Dead yeah, as well you yeah. know spaced is sure. such good fun and yeah and, you know and, he, and he's really reveling in that stuff and pop culture being part of it in a you know mm. Tarantino kind of way and um and I'm certainly hopeful that I'll enjoy this one, but um, yeah, it just didn't didn't work for the last couple Edgar Wright films. Haven't worked for me as much as Shaun of the Dead and Space did. And no, I mean, none of them have worked as well as Shaun of the Dead for me. No. Okay, um, that's, even, I think Shaun of the Dead is, is better than Space. Um, but I, uh, Scott Pilgrim, I think um, there was an energy. What you just said about his energy ramping up. It was ramped up to an ex, like a crazy level. It's a fucking fire hose, <laughs> you know, just like. And often I don't like that. Um, Joseph Kahn has a similar kind of <laughs> frenetic, slightly schizophrenic. You've seen detention then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but Scott Program worked. I think I like. I really don't. There's some things I don't like about the film. The, the direction is not one of them. I love the direction of that film. Well, I think um, for me, I love Scott Pilgrim, um, and. Again, I don't think it's short of the dead in terms of quality, but it's um, for me it was. I like the way that I mean he was working it off the graphic novel and off a game sensibility mm. um, of a particular era, 
and that he did that really well mm. and um, it hit all those notes from that game but in a way that kind of worked for me for the film and like you know not everyone liked that stuff um, but for me I, I really liked it yeah. I also had problems with like the basic concept of Scott Pilgrim is is in terms of like oh girlfriends are a prize that you win by oh, winning yeah. a game kind <laughs> yeah. of thing um, sorry I, I'm I'm sensitive annoying guy that way um, anyway um, so World's End sounds yeah, World's I, End. I, I will go check it out and I will um, w- those, those guys those three as well um, work together ex- just so well and they've all yeah. kind of gone and yeah. done different things Sonic yeah. Peaks and Star Trek and so on yeah. um, so seeing them get back together yeah. as a collaborative effort is yeah. is, is going to be great yeah and I'd forgotten that so that's back on my list of <laughs> got to see that if it comes out hopefully. so what else is on your list okay um, I'm going to go with um, uh, a film called Night Moves which is probably not something many people have heard of um, but a few more people have heard of Kelly Reichert Oh, um, hell yeah. Mix Cutoff, um, Wendy and Lucy, and um, what was the one else? Old Joy. Old Joy, yeah. Um, all of which I've seen and loved. Um, and I think she is probably one of my favourite directors working today. Um, there's something about the way that she kind of explores people in a very kind of patient way. Um, and and I, like, I, I like her... I like her her formal technique with camera. Like Mix cut off was shot beautifully and and um, mm. edited fantastically. Um, but I, I like the way that um, she kind of explores current political and economic ideas and and, and very kind of small scale stories of people. Um, yeah, and so so Old Joy was a story of, of two old friends who who were friends kind of by chance because of proximity um, at university, who then kind of came together out of the blue as adults and went on a road trip together um, and realised they had way less in common than they thought they did. Um, And it was kind of a really kind of strange, awkward sort of thing, but it also kind of, as well as being their story, it was a story of uh, the current sort of financial situation in the world Um, and I guess different modes of living choices you make about how you live and then Wendy and Lucy again was looking at the the financial situation of a young girl who's um, impoverished she's travelling across country in a crapped out car with her dog to get to a job in Alaska um, and her car breaks down um, and she has no money to fix it um, and then she loses her dog and essentially a lot of the film is about her trying to track down her dog um, but it's about her the desperation of her life and then how guarded people have become in like the classic American small town that you kind of traditionally in narratives have been like an open friendly place becomes this kind of closed the the, the gestures of, of generosity in that film are very kind of very small scale like right. some, someone offers you some money and, and you think oh that's fantastic but when you find out that it's like you know 10 bucks or something like this no, don't tell my wife kind of thing you're like oh that's really great but it's not actually going to help a situation and then yeah really really kind of deeply personal and sharp stuff but in a very small scale package and very unassuming and then to do a, a like a western but from a completely a point of view that's so divorced from what you think of a western um, some travellers on a train uh, on a wagon train who are just trying to get from one place to another to start a new life um, who 
don't have fancy weapons um, because the whole idea that weapons are expensive and not everyone has one and maybe you might inherit one from your dad but there's one person there's this fascinating scene of in real time of Michelle Williams character um, loading an old rifle um, with a a, you know one of those stoke things putting in the um, the powder and the the, like a musket sort of style thing that's like newer whereas you know in most westerns you'd have a shoot 'em up six shooter which was you know whacking the bullets and shoot Um, but she didn't have the money for that and so she like gets freaked out by this wandering Indian dude and then takes ages to kind of load up the yeah. thinking if anyone was going to attack she'd be gone <laughs> and her, her style's very immersive Kelly yeah. Reichardt it's, it's yeah. very um, or very um, you know you are there I yeah. mean that was um, I didn't like Old Joy very much I loved Meek's cut off but sort of the thing they had in common is very much like yeah. you were feeling like you were along on this journey yeah. and, and experience a lot of those things in real yeah. time I mean there's that really stunning scene in Meek's cut off where they're sending the um, the one wagon train down the, down the hill, hill yeah. and you're just like uh, you know and it, it just uh, it's all happening so slowly yeah. and, and but you can kind of and you don't know which way it's going to go, but you're kind of not suspecting it's going to be good. And the stakes are very real world. The, like, the risks are, we might run out of water and we'll all die. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that, well okay, I guess that's the thing. Old Joy yeah. doesn't have a lot of stakes, um, and so maybe yeah. that's a little... I mean, it has it has personal stakes, I suppose. But, but this um, one, Night Moves, what I've heard is this one is like an, an eco-terrorist film. Yeah, it's so, based on an Edward Abbey novel, I think, isn't it? The I, Monkey Wrench Gang? Or is it actually... Possibly. There's some lawsuit around yeah, it as yeah, well. Yeah, that, that's what I heard. There, there was a lawsuit. A there was another film being made, being adapted. Oh, there was a guy who wrote a book. Yeah, it might be that one that you were talking about. Who the Monkey was, Wrench Who was getting gang, an yeah. adaptation made that was supposed to be being directed by the guys who did um, oh, Catfish. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Um, right, who also went on to do Paranormal Activity yeah. three. Yeah. yeah. So, so he he was getting them to make an adaptation of the book, which was apparently was very similar to Night Move script. Um, so there was a lawsuit yeah. pending a while ago, um, maybe like um, mid last year. But I, I I haven't, as far as I can tell, the film's actually completed and post yeah. and and will be coming out. So that must have sort of. Yeah, I, I read Monkey Wrench Gang ages ago, and it was basically yeah. about a group of people in the '70s who start, you know, yeah. like being like eco terrorists, yeah. and so. Um, and this film apparently mines yeah. similar material, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see. But, Ho- hopefully, but with Kelly, Kelly Wackett, I mean, eco terrorist yeah. stuff—the whole idea of an eco terrorist group doesn't really sort of fill me with interest. Um, I mean, there's some interest in it, but not not a lot. But yeah. I can imagine that Kelly Rocket will do a very interesting. Look yeah, at, look at character interaction. Well, it's interesting because you know, I mean, when we talk about these films a lot of time, I and mean, we're barely coherent about yeah. what the story might even be. And, yeah. Um, I find that like a thing that's in common with a lot of the stuff that I love is it's like, you know, I mean, if you describe a lot of the films that I really like, it's not about the story, but how the story is told, yeah. and that's what's really important. Is you know, mm. there's lots of great stories that are told horribly, and there's lots of mediocre stories, but that are told with such sensitivity or insight yeah. or such a specific view on the world. Yeah. That, you know, I'll listen to any story by, you know, Roy Anderson yeah. or um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa or, you know, Kiristami yeah, yeah. or the person I'm going to mention next on my list. Um, so, the, is that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is Paulo Sorrentino, oh, who yeah. is uh, an astonishingly talented director. It's interesting. I'd say I was kind of lamenting Edgar Wright's sort of precision in some ways earlier, kind of tenseness, but um, Paulo Sorrentino. 
a lot of people might not recognize the name, but um, the film This Must Be the Place played at the festival last year, which mm-hmm. was his English language debut. Um, and it came off the back of some a couple fantastic films and a couple very strange films. Um, he made a film called The Consequences of Love, which played at Film Society last year, which remains... Um, uh, it's top 20 of all time for me. It's it's a beautiful, gorgeous film. I've seen it six times. I've in, I introduced strangers to it. Um, and everybody who sees it is just like... It's just staggering. And he has a hu- an intense flair with the camera. He takes dollies to move, pe- it, move his camera in ways that you don't even understand where he's put the tracks or how he's done it. Um, awesome. And... And and just incredibly expressionist, and sometimes that doesn't work out um, in ways that people are satisfied with. I mean, this must be the place was a really frustrating film for a lot of people. Are you familiar with it? Or I didn't see yeah. it, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. The, yeah. Sean Penn is a goth hunting yeah. Nazis, like you Trans- know, this like goth. Well, he's a Robert Smith style yeah, like right. kind of thing. You know, <laughs> he's not he's not really dressing as a woman, but he is wearing makeup. It's very Robert Smith, you know, sure kind of thing. Um, and um, yeah, and 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 Sorrentino had also done a film called El Divo, which was an incredibly energetic, tense look at Italian politics, and it was is this quite interesting dynamic between an intensely complicated system of lots of real people that we don't really understand. Um, because we, you know, I mean, I think it's one of those things that 80% of it was lost in me because I haven't been living in Italy for the last eight years reading the paper every day, but um, was still quite engrossing. And, um, and he's, you know, he's, he's a stylistic 180 from Kelly Reichardt. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, probably the length of any one Kelly Reichardt shot is like probably would fit 25 Sorrentino <laughs> shots in the average film. And, you know, and yeah. whereas Reichardt lets these things play out very quickly. Um, although the Sorrentinos will sometimes let shots play out to great length at great effect mm. as well. He's not completely, OC, you know, ADD. Mm. He knows when to let things yeah. live. Um, all which is a long way of saying he has a film called La Gran Beleza, and I don't want to know a damn thing about it. He's back in Italy. Um, it'll be interesting. I know this must be the place. Took a long time and did not do well um, financially for its backers. It mm. hasn't made its money. Um, so maybe he's returning to his comfort zone, um, so, sort of similar to Wong Kar Wai, perhaps, mm-hmm. in that sense. Although I think this must be the place as a, as a better film than My Blueberry Nights. But um, I, um, I'm dying to see it. Anything Sorrentino die, does, I'm dying to see. And he's he's quite um, the con darling. He's, his films uh, always yeah. seem to play con. So I'm I'm assuming this one will debut at con, and hopefully. Um, that means it'll play here shortly yeah. thereafter. All right. Well, um, we're down to two, right? Yeah. Um, the next one I want to talk about is is Pacific Rim. Cool. Which is uh, Guillermo del Toro's um, next film, and it um, it basically uh, is a kairu kairu kaiju kaiju yeah. film, which is a Japanese monster movie mixed with a. Uh, with the kind of uh, I beg your pardon, I just like my train of thought there. Um, it's a it's a kaiju film, so it's a Japanese monster film mixed with uh, an American robot film. Right. Mm. But what's really interesting to me about it is that it's Guillermo's first film in years, 
And he kind of... What was of, his last film? Hellboy 2 or something? Or Pan's Labyrinth? Or... It was Hellboy 2, I think. Um, but he then... It was that and Pan's Labyrinth which made him then go jump oh, up several ranks yeah. in, in, in Hollywood. And he was going to do the two Hobbit. massive projects, yeah. one of which was The Hobbit, and the other was Mountains of Madness. Yeah. Um, both of which he pulled out of for various reasons. The Hobbit because it was dragging on for years and years, and Mountains of Madness because it just wasn't going to make financial sense what his vision versus what it would cost and yeah. the returns of that. So Pacific Rim is what he's doing, and it is a huge film, um, both in terms of budget and effects, and it's just going to be really interesting to see if this kind of kicks him up to that yeah. almost you know, Spielberg level of, of filmmakers, or, um, or if he screws it up. But it looks, um, the, the trailer has come out, and it looks really cool. It looks super, super fun. I've got to check that out, man. I haven't looked at the trailer. It's, it's um, yeah, the, the, the basic concept is these massive, massive creatures are coming out of the ocean yeah. and destroying the world. I think it's based in Japan, um, and so humans are fighting back with it's these It's in San Francisco, I think, actually. Is it? Yeah, like, well, they have the Golden Gate Bridge or in getting destroyed in the trailer. So. Oh, right. Yeah. There's a lot and of Japanese um, cast members, though. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it, it could be, because, I mean, it's obviously coming out of the Pacific Ocean, so they might have, like, it's kind it's of both called Pacific Rim side. Side. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, both sides of the Pacific no, we'll um, being affected. <laughs> Damn! We don't know yet, yet. <laughs> but apparently there's different... Um, so the humans fight these massive mm. monsters in these enormous robots that are manned by two pilots oh, simultaneously yeah. somewhere in it, kind of mm. doing stuff. Cool. Um, visually, that's going to look pretty exciting. The, the kaiju themselves, or the monsters, are um, there's about six or seven different ones that are all unique and have got different mm. powers. And Guillermo is pretty amazing with what he does visually, and yeah, man. the Hellboy films. So it'll be interesting to see what he does on that sort of scale. Yeah. And also, I um, a lot of people that I know liked the first Transformers movie and then didn't like the next two. I hated the first one, the second one, and the third one mm. a lot. They were all terrible, terrible films. And uh, at the end of the... You're allowed to stay. <laughs> the, the, the last shot in the trailer is uh, an enormous robot being thrown and kind of falling, tumbling along a, a highway and stuff. Yeah. I get the joy out of that that I think other people got from the Transformers films, maybe. Yeah, no. Big robot stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really ex- looking forward to that. Awesome. Are you a Godzilla fan? I beg your pardon? Are you a Godzilla fan? Not really. Okay. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. They're doing that again, though. The guy who did Monsters is doing oh, yeah, a Hollywood that's remake. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, because I'm sure I'm I'm oh, I'm provisional on Pacific Rim at the moment, and maybe it is because I really enjoy the old Godzilla movies yeah, yeah. that have a certain. <laughs> Um, clumsiness to them in a certain a lack of rubber in the, uh... yeah yeah get the guy in a rubber suit I mean we all saw Godzilla we, we've, we've all seen a Godzilla movie recently not yeah. to be too specific about how or where um, but hypothetically if we'd seen a Godzilla movie recently you know you'd remember that kind of joy of just like it's obviously a guy in a rubber suit fighting another guy in a rubber suit and um, yeah, and, and it looks so, so good. Yeah, well, there's there's just something, and and there, again, maybe it's the color palette as well. Um, where I was a little like, oh, I was, when I saw the Pacific Rim trailer, I'm like, oh, is it going to be a bunch of gray things fighting each other at night with rain? Um, which is kind of <laughs> kind of a bit what it looked like. Um, I, I, I dug the pessimist. No, well, no, no, that was just my. It just it's it's one of those things that like. Like, if I were to do a kaiju movie, if somebody showed up 
and said three hundred million dollars. Kaiju movie have fun. I, I'd be like, well, you're a fucking idiot. But after I, after I said that, I'd, I I I would have lots of you know crazy yeah, yeah. monsters in in daylight that had you know had a certain bulk and certain mm-hmm. like kind of color to them. And I'd yeah, it's just it's just my my immediate aesthetic. But I'm kind, I mean I'm gonna see the movie. Yeah, I'm I'm curious and. Like I'd love to see a monster movie done right because yeah. it's super fun. And well, judging um, Guillermo's like by his history, you got to think the monster is going to be interesting. The monsters and, will certainly and, be and interesting. visually interesting. Like because I mean, like you think about Pan's Labyrinth has kind of a dark tenor to it and and a, yeah. a darkness to the to the um, sh- shot, but it's it's by no means drab. It's yeah. not it's not a grey pick. It's, it's there there are parts of it that pop visually. Um, yeah, I'm just going by what color. I've seen in the trailer, and yeah, yeah it didn't pop as much oh, okay. as Pans or the Hellboy movies. Yeah. I mean, although to be honest, my favorite Del Toro movie is still The Devil's Backbone, which is just really um, emotionally engaging on a level that a lot of his other movies haven't been for me. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, Blade Three I found pretty emotionally engaging. <laughs> <laughs> it does get you right there, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure I've seen Blade Three. I've definitely seen Blade One and Two. What happens in three? Three's pretty good. <laughs> did he actually do Blade Three? I think so. I think he did two and three. Is that the one where they CGI out on um, Wesley Snipes' face a bunch of times? <laughs> yeah, because he was too stoned. To, um, <laughs> oh, was it stoned? Was... Okay, yeah. yeah no, I, thought, was, I thought it was um... that he was too fat. Okay. Uh, I, I read a really <laughs> yeah. funny interview about Wesley Snipes recently. Apparently, he is a interesting dude. Like, he just doesn't get out of his trailer, like, for most yeah. of the film. And even Until when... it's 420. Yeah. <laughs> but even, like, to the point where they're, like, everyone's waiting, and they're like, we'll just do whatever you can without Wesley, and then <laughs> wow. we'll get him out now. So what's your number two? My number two is, um, am I taking that? Cool. Yeah, yeah, you're taking All that. Right. Is uh, a little film that's been getting a lot of, um, a lot of play online uh, recently due to trailer releases, Upstream Colour. Um, which also played... Uh, did that premiere at Sundance? It did premiere at yeah. Sundance. Um, so Shane Carruth, um, who people will know from Primer, um, which was a fantastic little uh, sort of sci-fi time travel um, piece. Um, um, and the trailer for this thing, which I, I know nothing about the film except having seen the trailer, um, which is fascinating. It looks fantastic, and it just totally drew me in. Um just little abstract pieces of relationship and some weird bits of sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, it looks fantastic. So I'm, I'm, I'm right there. Yeah, I. It's got to count, surely. It's I, one of ones that's got to be here. It was one that I sort of sacrificed off my list so that, because um, you know we we yeah, kind yeah. of compared lists and we had yeah. a lot of similar ones, but it's easily my number two as well. It's yeah. um, uh, primers. Any movie that you know, almost as good as the Lost Boys. <laughs> it's, it's up there. No, I still, I, I haven't seen the entire Lost Boys. I've seen that maggot scene, but um, oh really? Right. But um, no, it's just because um, <laughs> Primer came out in two thousand four, and basically Carruth tried to get another film off the ground, but he um, is is a total polymath, right? He shoots his own films, he mm. acts in them, he's releasing this himself, he's designed all the marketing materials, and um, by all accounts, like all the all the reactions to Upstream Color from Sundance have been, I have no idea what happened, and either a it's amazing, b I guess I need to see it again, c screw you for not telling me what's happening, but like <laughs> um um but 
uh, lots of comparisons to things like the Tree of Life in terms of just like overwhelming aesthetic beauty, not yeah. necessarily in terms of like you know spending an hour in Texas with uh, <laughs> kids, but um, and um, that it one ups Primer, which is a movie that famously like the way to understand Primer, there's like an 11 step guide yeah. online, which involves like looking at complicated timelines and yeah. watching it eight times so that you can work out all the chronologies. And, um, yeah, he, he's a really singular figure mm. in film right now in terms of his, you know, relentless commitment to his own vision and not like, yeah. you know, he probably could have got a job after Primer doing some studio movie yeah. and instead he's just, Gone for the Sun, and uh, he was also a time travel advisor on Looper, which I find interesting. Um, My number two is, um, I guess it's not really my number two, but it's the only other one I have left, but... um, Yes, Armin. Oh, no, it is by by a director that, um, this this could be great or it could be a disaster, but when I found out that Alejandro Jodorowsky has a new movie coming out this year, I dropped everything, because (laughs) um, one of my greatest film-going experiences remains um, being, and I've talked about this on this podcast before, but seeing the Holy Mountain at a movie marathon and just, (laughs) like, having my jaw drop relentlessly and and being so engrossed in how did this film get made and what was anyone thinking and, oh my God, and, and just... Um, the beauty of the production design combined with the insanity of the ideas on hand and the relentless commitment to this vision. And, I mean, it certainly helped that I saw it at four in the morning or something. But um, he hasn't made a movie since, like, the 90s, I don't think. And he's actually done graphic novels and been a tarot reader and all these other things. And, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, filmmaker David Whoa. Blythe actually told me about going to get his... Um, Tarot, tarot read by Joe Dorowski. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. You ever, David Blythe of Wound Fame. Um, which, um, Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. So he, he has a new film. It's called The Dance of Reality. It's apparently a story of him as a kid. Um, and somebody said, oh, is it going to be like a normal coming-of-age film? He's like, and his response was, it's a Jodorowsky film. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so, as, it's, which is ironic, because I bloody hate coming-of-age films. But if anyone is going to make a film that will reinvent the coming-of-age film for me, it'll be Alejandro Jodorowsky, and I cannot miss this. Um, you, you're like, I mean, watching Holy Mountain, even watching the trailer of Holy Mountain, you're like, how would a film of this magnitude be funded? Um, Beatles money. <laughs> no, actually, it was Brian. Yeah, yeah, and John Lennon was originally supposed to star in Holy Mountain. Oh my god! It's the sixties, 70s, man. There were yeah, people yeah. that had a whole stack of money. Yeah, they were br- giving it to drugs and Brian they just thought, Yeah, yeah. Gotta, this stuff has got to happen. Yeah, well, where are those people now? <laughs> Who knows, man? They're drinking chamomile tea and yeah. doing Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. Fucking hell! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's really exciting. Do you know who? Like, what? Have you got any more idea about this? Like, what sort of budget it would have? I I, th- I have a feeling it was kickstarted. I don't expect it to have a holy mountain kind of budget. Um, so that just seems uh, impossible in this day and age. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll definitely be more modest of means, but I'm hoping that he'll find other ways of creating that production value. Um, and so. Things. Um, it, did you say interns? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crowdsourcing. Uh, <laughs> it's um, 
Yeah, and I, in fact, I just did a um, IMDb search, and it doesn't even come up on IMDb. So right. I think he's been keeping it pretty low profile so that he can unload it on everybody all at once. So um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of filmmakers that in the late era of their life kind of go hmm. in regrettable directions. Like, I haven't seen the late Ken Russell films, but I've heard they're they're not really hmm. that great. Or Nicholas Rogue is another one who, like, you know, did Walk About and Don't Look Now, yeah. and then his later films aren't as widely regarded. So maybe I'm a little foolish for hoping that a Jodorowsky film in 2013 will be as mind-blowing as a Jodorowsky film from 73. But, um... But either way, it'll still be interesting to see what he does, right? Like, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no question that it'll be an interesting film. So, yeah. Number one, okay, your so most anticipated film of the year is Berendel. Excuse me, what? <laughs> Berendel, B E R A N D A L. It's the next film from uh, Gareth Evans. Oh, it's a right, somewhat shooting sequel, at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah somewhat yeah. sequel to The Raid. Right, so is this, is this actually The Raid 2 then, or is it actually not a connected film? It is connected, yeah. Okay. It takes place, um, it's about two hours after the end of The Raid. Oh, is wow. where this takes place. Totally off. connected. Wow. And Eco... They wouldn't even have had time to, like, rest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was, <laughs> it was limping out of the end. The, yeah. uh, the main guy, Eco Ray, I can't remember his name. Eco US. Eco US. Yeah, he had a rough few hours in The Raid. yeah. He's right back into it. Um, <laughs> so, I got I got a text from a film immediate a friend immediately after they saw that film saying those three people should not have survived that film. And to this day, I don't actually know if she meant the characters or the actors. Either one could have been quite true. And and I when I went to see it, I'm like, yep. That's a film that has 17 massage therapists in the credits. I counted. Really? Yeah. yeah. Holy because shit! Because you would need that. And I think 12 medical. Yeah, stuff. medics. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that about the credits. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the raid. Um, I there's a lot of things I love about different films, um, but great like this um, action. Well done action is something that has always always appealed to me since I was a child, and the raid was just so 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 good with um, how the direction was was, sorry, how the action was directed. Yeah. Um, the fact that it took off around the world. He did Morantel first, which um, is quite a good kung fu film. Oh, yeah. um, with the same guy starring Salat, the Indonesian martial art that is used in, in, in The Raid. Mm. But The Raid was much more of an action movie. As in, you know, in terms of an action movie, there's a lot of gun gunplay in it as well as just martial arts. Yeah. Also, it, it has was, that kind of... like You know how I was talking about Fast Five, where it really condenses all the crap you don't care about? Like Morantel has a lot of that crap we don't care about to get mm-hmm. to the action scenes where the raid is like it's has like man. two minutes of him like kissing his pregnant wife's belly and then like 98 <laughs> minutes yeah. of action yeah. <laughs> yeah I think one of the taglines was that right it was like two minutes of dialogue 98 minutes of action yeah. like that yeah it's um, interesting because we're kind of in an action renaissance at the moment I yeah. feel like like, yeah. like Dread was really fantastic and you know we watched Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning the other night which was a really great visionary action film um, there's and, Action Fest in the US they have right a festival yeah. called Action Fest which um, specializes in these types of films. Um, yeah. yeah, people are really. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's just me, but like I think, growing up, I loved horror a lot for for mm-hmm. certain visceral reasons as well as just the thrills they kind of gave. And then over the last ten years, we kind of horror was taken to its nth degree in in terms of gore, all the yeah. stuff you wanted to see back in the nineties. 
you saw in the thousands and um, it got to be... And stuff that you didn't want to see as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it just got too far. I don't know, but anyway, action is uh, action films is, is kind of is what horror was to me 10 years ago. Right. And The Raid was about as good as it gets. Mm. The, the sequel, um, he's probably going to have a little bit more money, but not enough to screw it up. <laughs> um, he's only really hinted at one aspect of it, which is a, a villain called Hammergirl. And some concept art for her. He's Evans is actually a really interesting guy on Twitter. Mm, yeah. um, he comments on oh, other okay. films quite a lot and yeah. um, about shooting and about the raid. Like every now and then he'll say, "This scene in the raid was difficult because of this reason or something." And um, he did a tweet the other day about um, continuity between shots because there are a lot of shots in the raid oh, look yeah, like they yeah, one take, that. but they're not. Yeah. And um, he was like, "We did that to you know to extend the rhythm of the action, and it really works." Yeah. <laughs> I think what you're saying about action is interesting because, like, um, I mean, Haywire is another film I was thinking of. But when you talk about horror, it's like, yeah, horror got to a point where it's like, oh, it's all fake. And so, like, we can see these horrific things. We know they're fake. And we know you're just trying to disgust this. Whereas with The Raid in particular, like, you're seeing these things play out in real time and bodies moving through screen. And similarly, you know, some of the shots in Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning where it's like, it's like th- those are actual bodies doing that actual thing, and it kind of brings back that um, joy of watching something slightly transgressive, I suppose, mm. happening, and that there's a sen- there's a real sense of danger to it. There's a sense of grounded reality to yeah, it it's truly that's missing from other yeah. kinds of filmmaking, and it, it's it gets that excitement in a way that to bring back my favorite hobby horse, like the end of the Avengers with dozens of buildings being killed by um, CGI things that that got imported from the Transformers. Don't, you know? Sure, um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking for it. I'm now looking we, 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 to we were talking before about stakes as well, and the stakes yeah. in the raid were were kind of low in a, in a global sense in that it was one building. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was... There was a hard edge to it where it was... Um, you felt like you were in the third world for a lot of the raid. Yeah. Not because the actors felt like they were in danger, but just um, it was like it seemed like a place that could exist in somewhere like Indonesia where yeah. the police force is not so um, reliable. And um, yeah, but I mean, the, the the story was was very limited in the raid, but the characters were fantastic. They had arcs which were interesting mm. enough to keep you going. Yeah, well, they, they, had, they had a little form. twist, and that was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and um, lots of invented kills. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, and, and the action felt fresh, and there was a real sense of immediacy. Uh, like, you felt like you were just there and seeing something happen, you know? It was like... And oh. Almost tactile, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It, it really felt... Yeah. It was just... Uh, but also, the, the, there was a final fight in it. All, kind, yeah. all martial arts films yeah. have final fights. Yeah. The final fight in the raid is incredible. Yeah. It's 2v1 instead of 1v1, yeah. which most are. And it was... But it's... Um, the the bad guy in that mad dog is just incredible. So I really can't wait to see what he kind mm. of progresses from the raid too. Mm. My Hopefully... only disappointment with the, oh sorry, my only disappointment with the raid was just um, it seemed really low res. Like it was like seemed like it was shot on really um, low quality cameras relative to what we're used to from lots of other things. It's there's like lots of, and because it, it's quite dark in a lot of places, there's like really grainy at that point. So if he can up. Not only the action stuff, and then, but also the image quality a bit. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, no, that that, that was. Yeah. Um, I think that really helped it in certain ways, though. Like, there was a lot of CG blood in the raid, oh, okay, um, and that kind of 
because it was darker and because it was kind of shitty cameras, but also some of the camera work in it is actually really solid. It doesn't yeah. look like the, the stock. Yeah, is not as he maybe. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not criticizing the movement. It's just actually the the cameras themselves are kind the of like quality. You yeah. know, you get you look in the blacks and it's like this kind of green storm of crap. Um, but yeah, the, the, um, um, like um, thinking of the scene where they, they smashed a hole through the floor yeah. and one guy jumped through and then the camera jumps through yeah. and then another guy jumps through I don't know if you you certainly couldn't do that with a 3D camera and maybe not with a red epic or something but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah well no there was a lot of, I mean because I looked at his blog and stuff he had a lot of stuff where he was putting like GoPros um, which are these really small cameras yeah. like onto people's bodies to end part <laughs> tests to get different new angles and I think I think he used a similar but not actually GoPro in the end but um yeah, I imagine all those cameras have just advanced in the next couple of years, so hopefully this one will look a little nicer and fingers crossed. Keep it because mm. that—that's my—that's honestly pretty much my only complaint about the raid. It was just like this is what I hope for every time I sit down to see an action movie, mm. and I got it. Your number one, my number one um, is uh, is a little uh, little indie um, called Computer Chess, which just. Um, I don't know if it premiered, but it definitely played... It um, premiered at Sundance. At Sundance, yeah. yeah. Um, which was by uh, Andrew Bajowski, um, who did um, Funny Haha, Mutual Appreciation, Beeswax. Um, uh, he's associated with the kind of mumblecore movement, but I, I kind of ignore that. Um, <laughs> that term. Um, he actually said this probably counts as his first mumblecore movie. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the first one that shot on video yeah, and yeah. has improv. So, so um, what it is, is it, it's a period film... Um, about the development of early computer chess technology and the the, the uh, based in a in a competition, a computer an early computer chess competition um, in the eighties, I think early eighties. Um, people with a bunch of geeks, a whole lot of first time actors, um, uh, um, and uh, and w- w- like with a few actors and stuff. So it has some of his trademark stuff of working with um, non professionals. Um, but this time it's yeah truly a, a shot on what he wanted to do is he wanted to give it the feel of some of the early gaming sort of stuff um, and from the time so he shot it on on video like it's from the period yeah well it's literally I was reading about it he found like whatever the video the camera, camera was in the, the 70s yeah. and like apparently it's just a bloody nightmare of like you mm. know like this video camera that doesn't even have stock that's supported any more mm. that you can get, and then trying to get that into a 2012 edit suite from the yeah. 70s camera, yeah. and it was just like it was just ludicrously difficult. Um, if you Google computer chess, yeah. you'll see his website's got some fantastic gifts on it from the film and the people yeah. and stuff. Um, but uh, that, I mean, his work—I I love his work with dialogue and with people. Um, just really clicks with me. Um, very, very low key, very um, naturalistic. Um, but also very interesting studies of, of character and people. Um, but, and and computer chess, um, my brother and I used to play computer chess when we were younger, um, my brother more so, um, and he used to beat the computer and I didn't really. Um, <laughs> but, but we used to play competition. Well, he used to play competition, I used to play with him and then with other friends and stuff. Um, so I have a real interest in, in the game as well um, as, as the genre and the time. Yeah, so I'm just fascinated to see how it comes out. Yeah. That is a super interesting topic. Yeah. Like I, I'm not familiar with the director, but that um, how you've just described that film is 
sounds like about the geekiest type of movie you could get in yeah. some ways. <laughs> to, yeah. to me, just incredibly appealing. Yeah, Apparently, yeah. it's quite a strange film in terms of formal mm. construction as well, yeah. and that's been some of the feedback from Sundance. Is like, wow, this is quite weird because I think there's some sort of mockumentary yeah, well, elements the, in they, it with sit-down interviews. And because well, he's got he's got a, um, a quite a constrained budget, um, and I think he had to kickstart this maybe. Um, yeah. Uh, and he, uh, I think they set it at a convention center for a competition that's got some other convention stuff going on, and so they sort of mix it in. But so it's like a, like a, a single location, mostly for the most part, in a hotel somewhere, um, a conference center, um, and then you've got yeah, like interview, yeah, like a mockumentary kind of interview kind of thing, um, and then, and because he's often using non-actors and some people who are actually uh, like a lot of the people he's. Um, uh, has and roles are, say, academics in the computer science department. So they're people who are the geeks who know about this stuff, you know, right. and who help design this stuff. So, right. So it's, it's got a very realistic sense to it. Yeah. And which is his sensibility. I mean, when I, yeah. I, the first of his I saw was Mutual Appreciation in 2005, I think. And um, although, I mean, people can say it's a bit talky and, you know, um, perhaps a bit wanky in some ways, it took me back to my university days. And sure, it's set in the States and. Uh, but like the kind of conversation people sat around having the kind of the structure of living or the, well, the unstructured nature of living and people's kind of oh, I don't really know what I'm doing and kind of blur attitude was very much uh, like I, I, I was sitting there and it just took me back to a time in a, in, in a friend's flat where I was sitting down having these kind of what could have been thing, seen as wanky conversation except that we were totally interested in this stuff and we were really talking quite seriously about it and, and thinking about it even though you know looking back it perhaps seems a little naive um yeah, yeah um, i'm quite depressed that i can't remember now actually if i've seen mutual appreciation or not yeah. that's a kind of a sign that i've seen too many movies <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i have seen some... funny haha and i have seen beeswax yeah. and um i enjoyed them both i i, I didn't fall in love with them yeah. at, to the extent that you did certainly but um uh, and I mean, you know, I have mm. a pers- uh, being personal connection to Beeswax. Like, yeah. um, I just rewatched Beeswax. But, um, yeah, but but there is um, something I quite like about his observational style mm. and his kind of refusal to hew to sort of conventional narrative expectations, yeah. which drove a lot of people. I mean, I I had a couple friends because um, there's a short film that played before Beeswax that was a local film, and so some people who knew that filmmaker went. And um, they were just spitting venom about beeswax. They're like, nothing happens. There's no, you know, there's a, no end. There's no, it's just a bunch of crap. And it's just like, well, no, it's just, it's not, it's, it isn't a conventional plot. And yeah. if you're expecting that, you'll be disappointed. But it is, it's very trenchant in its observations yeah. about those people. Yeah. And that's, and it's what, what it, yeah, what, about character. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, um, what it loses in terms of, traditional narrative propulsion and stuff it gains in kind of capturing a texture of life that you mm. don't often see portrayed on screen and you know fair enough not everybody cares about that you know but um it is it is a virtue and i'm, I'm yeah. glad that he's out there doing that and i'm really looking forward to computer chess because it sounds like quite a departure from all yeah. the other stuff which has all been you know present day um and sort of working with the mid to late 20s, yeah, yeah. kind of early to late 20s. I think aging with him pretty much at the Yeah, yeah kind pretty of much. Milieu. Yeah. Well, interestingly, there's an interview with him on um, one of the Nerdist podcasts earlier last year. Um, so if you if you wanted to look it up, it's on the Nerdist Writers Panel podcast, um, Andrew Bajewski. And uh, he talks about trying to get 
films made and the fact that you know he he pretty much is working as a writer now doing some some kind of bits and pieces and and working on on more sort of hoping you know getting some roles in some smaller studio kind of stuff and going well you know this is very away from what he's doing himself but you know he, that's the job that he kind of likes and he can he appreciates more that kind of world and what it means um but it's great to see that actually when he gets a chance to be able to do his own stuff he's still doing these really interesting personally invested yeah. projects yeah. yeah just like Joss Whedon yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um cool well my my number one is probably even more obscure than computer chess somehow <laughs> um it's a film called Leviathan directed oh, by yeah. um Lucian Casting Taylor and Verona Paravel um Oh, those guys. Yeah, exactly. They did a film called Sweetgrass, which I, I recently oh, picked really? up. I still haven't watched, uh, which is a sheep herding documentary. Um, and uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, at, at which point in the slow cinema thing, I, and Dan, Daniel right now is like, where do I get tickets for this? Um, here's the thing about Leviathan. Leviathan's a documentary in a loose sense about um, fish trawlers and big boats that go out and... Um, do that and um they spent several months out on the boats and a lot of what they did is working with these very small cameras like gopros that are like the size of your fist and um putting them in various places to try to get a sense of what happens and the reason i want to see leviathan is that i have seen what is called the trailer online and it's a wordless three and a half minutes that is probably three shots, but it's edited in such a way that it looks like it could be one. Mm. And the camera starts at the back of the boat. You see, like, sort of the water coming through. And then suddenly it starts running red with the... Um, awful coming the, out of the... Yeah, awful coming out of the boat. And then suddenly it detaches, and then it moves out with the trawler as it picks things and bobs up and down in the water. And as it bobs up and down in the water, suddenly the birds are coming down to it to get and the sound stuff. design of this is amazing because those gopros i've edited with those gopros before and they have bloody terrible sound and so i don't know what they've done to make mm-hmm. it sound actually listenable but um um you know and so you follow this thing and you're like oh you know it's just this really immersive experience of being out there and it's scooping this and then somehow we're around the front of the boat and it just rises mm. and rises and keeps rising up like 20 meters and it, it, it sort of, in a weird way, it ties into what I was saying about the raid and that, you know, there's this physicality of it in which you believe and it's this environment that you don't, you don't really know much about that suddenly you're really engaging with the nuts and bolts of the physicality mm. of it and the filmmaking is so immersive Literally, yeah, and, and, well, and, and I mean, and so, and so, so I mean, I love scuba diving. Yeah. I, I spent the three day weekend going to a different beach every day and going swimming, yeah. and and I love the water. So that that's part of it. Yeah. Is I mean, there have been terrible films that I've been like, well, at least there was a nice shot of the water, so I didn't mind it. Um, <laughs> on, on opposite ends of the scale, both AI and Anatomy of Hell, I said that about, <laughs> um, and 
Um, <laughs> which are, you know, are often mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> um, I, I watched that trailer too. When you when we were talking about this mm. podcast during the week, I... Um, oh, you looked that up on Vimeo? Yeah. yeah. I did it strike you? It, did you, or did you it think, did. Well, yeah. the thing is, I was sitting it's at my desk. It was, a ho- it was a terrible situation to see it. When you're watching, when you're working and you watch a, a, a YouTuber sending video at your desk, it's not a good situation because you've yeah. got people talking around you. So, yeah. but I had my headphones on and I just kind of, I just got sucked in, watched it from yeah. start to finish, which mm. um, I don't often do with YouTube videos at my desk at work, yeah. but did. And um, yeah, it was really interesting filming um, and just a snapshot of uh, life that I've kind of not thought about too much. But now that yeah. I had a glimpse of it would love to see more of it and and apparently the whole movie is very much in that lines like i think the only time that like actual people on the boat appear sort of in the background of shots are very glancingly and it is about just um capturing that sensory quality of it and that's um it's something that is really exciting to me as a very different way of observing things that wasn't mm-hmm. you know i mean you you know you couldn't throw a 35 mil camera out into the ocean and in mm. fact I've read interviews with them they talked about how they have a lot of cameras now that are at the bottom of the ocean because <laughs> they were trying originally with the higher quality cameras and they didn't uh, survive or you know whatever and it was just that these GoPros are so small and so light and um, that you can um, guarantee on them not not getting lost out there and um, that was the way that they managed to get a lot of it and so usually they had just some yeah. sort of really good Debt as well. I like guess, this. yeah. I, I, I it looked really fantastic. The stuff on that. Yeah. Um, well, the, well, the, the GoPros have gained in quality over the yeah. years. They used to be like really shockingly terrible, but and I used to be really resentful when I had to edit them into things. But in the last year or so, this footage I've been getting actually matches quite well. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I just like one of the things that is great about going to a movie and that, that the more you see, the less you get to experience is getting to see the world in a way you've never seen it before, you know? And that's, um, and that's, I guess maybe why I was sort of in a completely different side of the budgetary spectrum, but lamenting about, you know, like what I perceived about Star Trek into darkness or about some of these other ones. It's like, ah, it's, it's this kind of vision that I've seen a bunch of times before. I want, I want to, I want to, sit down and see something I've never seen before. And obviously, you know, the more you see, the less you're going to have that. But you hold out for those moments where you're going to get it. And I, I don't think there's any film this year, maybe apart from Upstream Color, that's more likely to do that than Leviathan. Mm. Nice. Cool. Are there any other films you want to mention in passing that didn't make your top 12 but are, like, kind of itching back there that you're regretting not mentioning? Um, there is a couple. Uh, David Michaud has got a new film coming out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the director of Animal, Animal Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah, That's yeah. right, yeah. Um, it's got Joel Edgerton and um, Guy Pearce in it again, and also Robert Pattinson. Oh, okay. Um, the film is called The Rover. And, What's it about? Um, Do you know? Or? I, it's another crime thing? Yeah, it's crime It's crime related. Based um, in Australia? I think so, yeah. But I, I, Well, I read one thing, it was something about a... It was like kind of westerny, but then oh. I read another thing which was just saying it was crime related again. I don't, as you can tell by me saying, <laughs> I think it's maybe yeah, yeah. kind of slightly. I don't really like to read too much into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other one is, um, I know there are a lot of mixed feelings about The Hobbit, but um, <laughs> I uh, enjoyed that film quite a bit, and I'm quite looking forward to part two, which comes out in the next year. Well, what do you think about it relative to the other, the Lord of the Rings films? Um. I liked it 
I, I, the thing is, I haven't revisited the Lord of the Rings films much since then. But um, I and yeah, I think I liked it pretty much just as much as as, as them. Okay. Um, I I think people are saying it's too long, as they're saying about Django. I just think that's a bogus thing to say about a film. Like generally, I don't think you would have really? lost. Yeah. I mean, I I don't. Yeah. So like the Hobbit, the Hobbit, I don't think has the narrative drive of Lord of the Rings, but it's just kind of a hangout film. Like I thought it, I thought of the Hobbit as almost being like Jim Jarmusch doing a Hobbit film, <laughs> where it's just like you're just chilling out with the hobbits, so you, you know, you don't go to coffee and cigarettes or whatever, and be like, oh man, why can't they get done with their coffee and get on to the next? Yeah, thing, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's about hanging out in that space, and that's kind of. I mean, I didn't love the Hobbit, but I didn't mind it as much as, like, I mean, I I kind of expected to resent it from all the hype or yeah. the anti-hype going into it. And I was like, oh, no, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it fine. I mean, the, the Lord of the Rings films were never something that were as deep to my heart as many people. I enjoyed them fine. Um, but I enjoyed the Hobbit more than say the last half hour of return of the King. And I'm, <laughs> sure. I, I'm, I'm yeah. basically like, I'll go see the second Hobbit and I won't have kind of the sense of dread that I had yeah. going to see the first Hobbit. I think uh, I'm probably somewhere between you guys. Cause I, I quite enjoyed it, but I didn't, I, I preferred The Lord of the Rings in terms of the story, although it's it's very difficult when you're when you're very familiar with the books yeah. to divorce your knowledge of those and objectively watch a film. So, but I, I really like what they did with The Hobbit and the Hobbit. I didn't find it long at all. I found the Jan- I found Django an hour shorter than The Hobbit, even though technically it's longer on paper. So that's like when you talk about duration, it's like yeah. I, saw, I, I pretty much saw Hobbit and Django back to back. Yeah. Um, and um, just the the physical experience of seeing Django, both, and I've seen it twice now, both times, like it just flew like yeah. a rocket. Um, and I'm often somebody who fights with long movies in terms of the physical limitations of my bladder. And oh, like, yeah. so I'm often quite conscious of that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, both but both times I was just like, man, this is just clocking along, clocking along, and and really gripping. So, um, I mean, I do think there are films that are too long, but I, I definitely, in terms of like, they've said their piece and then and and kind of and they were they could have said it in a more concise way. No, but they, yeah, but no, that just depends. Right. What, that just depends what the goal of the film yeah. is. And with Django, I, I actually think Django's too short. Mm. That's my main problem with Django. Is that there's that's, lots of that's, straight, that's nice straight, edge, but there's straight plot points that are just kind of like left behind. That like I would love to have seen the four hour miniseries of Django, and <laughs> yeah. and and Quentin Tarantino's promised that when they stop making thirty five millimeter film, he's only going to make HBO series. As much as I love getting going to a new Tarantino film, I'm looking forward to when he actually gets to make his six hour miniseries instead of his two hour film and all his little stray doodles on. You know, I mean, you read the Inglorious Bastards script, and there's the whole backstory of the Bear Jew, and you, you yeah, read yeah. the Django script, and there's lots of missing scenes that were shot. And um, yeah, I, 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 most of my criticisms with Django were like things when I look back at the script, it's like, oh, yep, that was there. They just ran out of time. That's why there's that weird hanging scene there that doesn't seem to amount to anything or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I thought Django was too short. Just just to qualify when I said that, I think that's a bogus statement. What, what I'd find bogus is people said, I liked Django, but it was too long. That just seems like a crazy yeah. thing to say. If something is boring and it's too long and they could have said it yeah, in a short yeah. amount of time, that's fine. But it's like, no, it was, Into the Void was great, but it was too long. Well, 
um, you know, that's what the vision was. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I thought Enter the Void was great for too long. I, I mean, I guess like I felt like I would have enjoyed. I felt like everything that that film had to say could have been said in forty-five minutes less. Yeah. And while it was an amazing technical achievement, um, ultimately it became enervating in a way that a more concise expression of it wouldn't have been. Like, to, to switch mediums for a minute, I went and saw the band Sunno when I was in... Do you know Sunno? Yeah. Yeah. Sunno. Yeah, yeah, with parens, parens, parens. <laughs> yeah. So apparently you can just call them Sun. But, um, uh, and for the first... So they're a drone met, doom metal band, I think it's called, and... Um, for the first 45 minutes, it was one of my favorite concerts that I'd seen in ages. And they were mostly just playing one chord, and it was just... <laughs> and, you know, bone shaking. And, you know, they'd hold up their hands in the devil shape and drink from wine, and then they'd hit the same chord again. And, and there's just, just sheer physicality of it I loved. We left after an hour and 45 minutes, and... I'd like to think they might still be playing. <laughs> yeah, this is December, so they're probably done by now. But it's just like it was just there was just no end in sight, and it was just like um, there is that, especially in non-narrative driven works, that point where a sense of goodwill and enjoyment of the actual plastic structure of it can kind of, you know, you just fall on your face after a certain amount. But but you disagree. <laughs> Well, no, not really. I think you're, um, I think Into the Void was a bad example. Like, I think, yeah, that is, there's, there's not as strong a narrative there. Like, I think The Hobbit and Django, there's a narrative from beginning to end that, that for for me at least, just had me sucked in. Like, I was hanging on every minute, pretty much. Really? Okay. And it's entertaining from beginning. There's nothing I'd take out of The Hobbit, personally. Maybe there's one song at the beginning where they're passing dishes around. Maybe they could have taken that out. Yeah. It's about two minutes. It's pretty inoffensive. Yeah. But what I just find it interesting when people like, uh, and I think films could be shorter if they're like Judd Apatow comedies or something. Right. But a film, watching something like Django and saying that was great, but it should have been shorter, just. I don't know what people would lose from Django. Like, what would no, you... Neither, you haven't seen it, have you? No, so no. we can't... We'll, maybe we'll have a Django follow-up podcast. <laughs> but, yeah. That, that, that just... Uh, I'm finding it hard to articulate this uh, this silly point, but... It, <laughs> it's just okay. uh, people whinging about movies being too long yeah. is often just something that just grinds my gears for some reason. Right. I don't know why, actually. But it just seems like that's the film. That's how long yeah. it is. Either you like it or didn't. Yeah. For me, when I watch a film, if I find that um, sometimes I... I don't feel length, and sometimes I do, and that's not necessarily a positive or negative, it's just a facet of it. Like, so The Hobbit, I watched it, apparently it was quite long, I didn't feel the length, I just was immersed in the story, loved it, some things didn't love so much, but but I, I went from start to end and thought, cool, came out and went, what were people talking about, it wasn't that long, yeah, you know, because I was keyed into it. Um, Probably Django have the same thing. There are other films where I've felt the length, where it hasn't been maybe as long as Hobbit, but it's been reasonably long, and you feel every inch of that. But it mm. isn't necessarily a negative for me. It's more that the pace of the film and the point of the film is somewhat different. Um, but there are some where I feel a length, and I think it didn't need to be that. Yeah. Um, so for, I find it's really very much a, a personal response to... 
a particular film. I think it's hard to... Any other uh, honourable mentions that you guys have... Do you have any? I've got a few, but I'll let you... Um... No, no, I, I don't actually. I'm okay. trying to think. I probably do, but I just can't think what they are. Um, well, there's speaking of people who have been accused of making films that are too long, there are potentially up to three new Terrence Malick films coming out next year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Um, which... To the I, Wonder, that's the big one. That... To the Wonder, which was formerly The Burial, is that right? Oh, I don't know. There's To the Wonder, there's Night of Cups, and there's one which was called Lawless, but and another Cups. film is now called mm-hmm. Lawless. So, um, yeah, like To the Wonder's already played at some festivals, so it'll probably come out here. Yeah. Um, Night of Cups, I think, is done and will probably play at Con, and Lawless may be done by the end of the year. And there's also his buddy, there was also supposed to be another like IMAX film that was supplementary to Tree of Life, that was about the origin of the universe, which may come out as well. So I don't know when wow. Terrence Malick exactly transformed from being like One guy who makes a film every ten years to Joe Swanberg, but it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, Spike Jones has a new film starring Joaquin Phoenix called Her, which I think is about a guy that falls in love with a computer simulation or Ooh, something. Who? Her. H e r. And and yeah, I mean Spike Jones. I mean. I'm generally I've been a fan of all his films, even where the wild things are, which has been, um, you know, was not liked by a lot of people, but I liked it. I loved adaptation. I loved being John Malkovich. I mean, yeah. obviously, the, those are Kaufman films, and um, I don't think I don't think this is a Kaufman film, so I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, Jonathan Glazer, who did a film called Birth, which yeah. I love. Um, it totally presses all my buttons in terms of having this Kubrick-esque kind of feel, walking this fine line That's between... the Kidman one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah with the um, kid who says yeah. that she he's a reincarnated <laughs> husband. Um, and it just, yeah, it just tapped that perfect edge for me of something that was slightly surreal, slightly comic, slightly dark, and just beautifully shot. Um, and, and a whole lot of what the fuck all in one beautiful package. Um, she, he's got a new film called Under the Skin coming out, which I think stars Sam Morden. So, and it's his first film since 2004, I think. So, another long overdue follow up. I mean, he also did Sexy Beast, um, and so this is just his third film in a really long period of time. Um, I mentioned the Soderbergh um, side effects that's yeah. coming. Um, Everybody in Our Family, which is a Romanian film that played at Fantastic Fest. Um, there's been a lot of really good Romanian films um, that mm. you know I've fallen in love with. You know, Four Months, Three Weeks, Two yeah. Days, um, uh, uh, 1280s to Bucharest, Cornelia, yeah. Parambu, or whatever. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, quite a, quite a few. And uh, everybody in Our Family has received. A, you know, well, I mean, the fact that it played Fantastic Fest gives you a sense of like yeah. kind of the thriller elements and like. But those Romanian films all have that sort of naturalist thing going mm-hmm. at the same time. 1208, not quite so much, but, you know, in general. Um, and then um, the last one that I will mention is... Um, oh, well, I'll mention Escape from Tomorrow in a little more detail, which oh, played yeah. at Sundance, which was is instantly infamous because it was shot entirely guerrilla style at Disneyland. Uh, <laughs> or Disney World, excuse me. And um, is about a um, dad, I think, who goes on a bender and um, starts stalking these two French girls. And it's apparently really inappropriate and lots of things go horribly wrong. And most people who have seen it have said, yeah, it will never see the light of day because 
um, Disney, there's no way that Disney would let it out. Um, Super, yeah. So, and there, I've seen a minute clip from it online, which actually it's a black and white film. It has a vibe similar to a film called The Woman Chaser, which came out ages ago. I don't know if you've seen it, but kind of like this kind of like retro kind of desiccated kind of feel to it. It all it almost seems like in some ways like something that would show at movie marathon at one in the yeah, morning yeah. some weird black and white film that washed up. Except, you know, it set it up caught center. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> um but the last film, um, Gravity, which have you guys heard about Gravity? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um sci fi yeah, yeah. And um Alfonso Suaron. Um, City of God. Yeah. No, no not Sorry. City of God. Um, um Children, Children of Men. Children of Men and one of the Harry Potter movies yeah. in Itumama Tambien. Yeah. And um yeah, apparently it's almost real time. Um I mean Children of Men of course had those famous extended shots and apparently he does this one better with like a twenty something minute opening shot and I think it's just um George Clooney and Sandra Bullock like stranded in space. Yeah. And um apparently and and I get the impression that actually it, it without spoiling too much, I think it becomes a one character piece relatively early on. And um um yeah, it's it looks really promising. Um, just a couple of other short ones. There's um, Spring Breakers. The oh, Harmony. Spring Breakers. Oh, Harmony yeah. Green. Yeah. yeah, who I've never seen any films by, actually. You haven't? No. Oh, that's a He's... challenge. <laughs> <laughs> did you see Trash Humpers? I did see Trash Humpers. Well, that, that was, was the uh... worst screening I've been at in a long time. Not so much the, the film was challenging, but so many people came in, like, up to 45 minutes late. And then they sat there and laughed in a knowing fashion. I think they were... Art students, <laughs> um, and, were, ah, 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 and then someone got up early and left, and I was like, "What the hell was that about?" You know, <laughs> that was Weird. a um, that was a difficult film, though. Like, yeah. I, I don't think I would have liked to see that in an audience in New Zealand, to be honest. Like, yeah. it, it just I saw that as a screener at home. Yeah, and um, yeah, <laughs> um, that's it. But yeah, no, Spring Breakers is, is is quite a different film yeah. from him. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, James got, Franco and a bunch got, of Disney yeah. princesses, princesses yeah. Get, yeah. getting debauched, right? Yep. To Skrillex. <laughs> to Skrillex. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Chris Martinez. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and his his um, uh, Harmony Korine's wife stars in most of Rachel, I think. Um, stars in most of the stuff. She was in. They were both in oh, okay. Trash Hunters as well. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of interesting. Um, there's a there's a bunch of other big budget sequels that I won't mention. Evil Dead though is another horror. Um, oh, that amazing. trailer, oh man, that trailer made who's remaking that? I've forgotten. Fede Alvarez, who had done some short film, this is his first feature. Oh. Um, Sam Raimi producing oh, shot in New right, Zealand, yeah, yeah. but the trailer is what excited me about it. The trailer is pretty pretty good. I saw one of the camera assists who had worked on my film, and I saw, I ran into him somewhere, and he still has blood on his shoes. From <laughs> so I'm pretty optimistic that it will um, be, and and apparently it's supposed to go much back in tone to the original Evil Dead, yeah, um, as opposed to kind of the sequels, which are more comic. And I mean, I love Evil Dead too, but um, yeah, it looks like very intense, very exciting. An interesting and very, very hard R, which is kind of, um, you know, but not in a sore way, in, a, in an evil dead way. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's interesting. Um, Pain and Gain is a Michael Bay film. I despise Michael Bay, but I actually like the look of that film. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's the trailer. Yeah, I saw the trailer it's, for that. That looked 
It's a true story. Nineties oh, Miami bodybuilding, bodybuilding scene, yeah. which is an interesting yeah. city. Um, I, the I, Rock, who I'm infatuated with. <laughs> I'm a, I'll admit to being a Mark Wahlberg fan as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, um, I'm really skeptical because Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do yeah. I need to explain it further? <laughs> no. Um, and I, I haven't reacted to the trailer the same way other people have. But yeah, Tony Shalhoub, Rebel Wilson. There's a lot of interesting mm. casting in it. Um, so. I'll wait till people actually see it, and maybe I'll go see it. Um, Danny Boyle's Trance um, is out this year. It's interesting to see what he does next. Um, I bet it has a bad third act. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, Lovelace, I'm interested in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the Amanda Seyfried yeah. um, uh, Deep Throat film, not the Lindsay Lohan one. Um, and then there's Ender's Game, which is pretty interesting looking. Who's directing that? This is Orson Scott Card novel, is that right? He's a famous science fiction author. I should have really found this um, out before just writing it down, but uh, um, uh, it seems kind of in between Hunger Games and and uh, like The Running Man. Okay. But <laughs> that seems like a pretty narrow space. Like, is there a bit of Battle Royale influence as well? <laughs> um, Gavin Hood is the director. Did the Wolverine one and Zotzi and yeah. Yeah, okay. You did Wolverine, oof. <laughs> so is it off your list now? Uh, well, no, I mean, it, it sounds... It's 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 interesting. And he, I, the film that I just remembered that uh, Doug will be very interested in um, is um, one uh, just recently came out in the UK, I think, or it's just coming out soon as um, the latest Ken Loach film. <laughs> Did you do another one? On that. Oh yes. god, that was good. <laughs> um, I, I I really liked um, Angel Share as well. You're fired. <laughs> I, I know, man, but I just, uh, no, I just got the whiskey taster in that was so Rory McAllister was. Oh, yeah. he was. That was a great science fiction film. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who could taste whiskey like that, you know, that's some that's a major accomplishment. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm sure there's another. There's always another Ken Loach film. Uh, <laughs> um, place, place Beyond the Pines is, is oh one yeah, other, one yeah. One I still haven't seen Blue Valentine, so I don't know how to feel about that. Oh, I was it um, Derek Sanfrance, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that'd be interesting. Tim direct. It's yeah. it's him with Ryan Gosling and. Um, is it Eva Mendes? I can't remember. Who I have new respect for after Holy Motors and Bad Lieutenant. Right, yeah. And um, Bradley Cooper is in it as well. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. Uh, have you seen <laughs> Silver fun. Linings Playbook yet? No, I'm going to see that this week. Oh, I, I'll be interested to see what you think because I fucking hated it. I saw it in the oh, States. Really? Yeah, I'm not surprised I, you hated it. I, well, I'm, I'm, I was surprised because I'm a David O. Russell fan. Mm. Um, I really like... And I really liked The Fighter, and I didn't expect to. And I really liked I Heart Huckabees. Well, it actually took me two viewings of that. I love Three Kings. Um, I just... It pressed my two, like, buttons, which is, like, happily ever after movies that kind of gloss over couples that shouldn't be together. And, ooh, isn't mental illness cute movies? Yeah. Yeah. Those two things in one package is pretty much just, like, a razor blade and a cyanide wrapper as far as that. It's that's interesting. It's like the um, yeah, I've heard good buzz about it and bad, a few bad and negative reviews yeah. as well. But I'm I'm hopeful that it'll be nice. Is Jennifer Lawrence good? Enough? 
She if she does a good job. Um, Bradley Cooper does a Mark Wahlberg imitation. It's just it's just I don't buy the characters, mm. um, and I don't know. I guess I had a friend who's like I didn't like it until it embraced being a rom com, and I think maybe if you like kind of think of it as a rom com from the outset and don't try to think of it as having any re- relation to reality or mental health issues, then like maybe you can roll with it. For me, it was just like the first half was like. Uh, it's doing some weird stuff with the cutesy Danny Elfman music, but like it's an interesting mix of this kind of like, you know, some of the romantic comedy conventions, but also having some of the darker side of like actual mental illness and what that means. And at some point, it just said, "Ah, fuck it, we're just going to be silly and cute from now on." Mm-hmm. And um, I, and that's when it lost me. And it it, it might like. I I usually get a film wrong every year. The first time I saw Drive, I'm like, this is not the gritty 70s driving film I was promised. I hate this film. And then I kind of it dwelled on it and everybody loved it. And I went back to see it. I'm like, oh, right, no, this is the larger-than-life 80s driving film that Michael Mann might have made somewhere. And I'm like, okay, now I see what it's trying to do. I really like it. So maybe I missed the point. Um or maybe mental illness is really cute. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, lots of other people. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it's been nominated for Oscars. People have um, yeah, been raving, and raving about it. Atonement so. got an Oscar. <laughs> I liked Atonement. Oh. Um, not as yeah, I, I didn't love Atonement, but you know, it's um, actually been nominated for Oscars in more ways than most films. It's got actor, actress, um, director, and best film. Which... And supporting actor and supporting actress, yeah. So it's 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 very it's across sex. the board. I just don't think if it had been released by Weinstein's, it would have been nominated for most of those things. But it was mm. just it got that push, and and yeah, Jennifer Lawrence is kind of the it thing right now, and yeah. she has a couple. She has one particularly yeah impressive scene, and oh. um, Robert De Niro cares for the first time in like twelve years. So you know, I or, what when was the last time Robert De Niro cared? Um, meet, the, meet the fuckers, maybe. Stardust. That's a loose interpretation of caring. Okay. Yeah, yeah you're a big Stardust fan, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Should we wrap this up? Because we're really getting yeah, into yeah. Okay, tangents upon tangents. Are there any other, just very quickly, are there any other films that are coming back or end of 2012 films that we haven't mentioned that are about to open that are well, on you? Amour is going to open, which I missed f- because I mistook the time on my ticket. Yeah. For, for 1pm instead of 11am yeah you're never going to let that go are oh, you <laughs> it was my, probably my only chance to see it in 4k um, mm. at the Civic and yeah but it's coming back um, in March I think February 28th February 28th oh, is that oh no sorry yeah February 28th yeah yeah Feb okay yep yeah. Um, so I'm definitely going to go and see that so the Hanukkah mm. should be good yeah um, the Red House, which I was hanging out with the director today, so I better mention. But um, <laughs> um, New Zealand film, which um, is really stunning um, documentary drama hybrid, and maybe we'll talk about it more at some point. But right. March fourteenth, and um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that gets a bigger audience because it kind of I saw the write up at the festival and it didn't yeah. really attract me, and I missed it, and then I've got a chance to see it since then, and been really impressed um it ha- just has a level of ambition that i haven't seen from very many films in new zealand in terms of um trying to be a film that's 
about ideas without being really didactic and kind of, um, uh, maybe we'll go into it more some other yeah. time because I'm getting sleepy, but it is, um, a really quality film that hopefully we'll find an audience cause it deserves it. Cool. All right. Um, till next time. Um, it's Doug. It's Jacob. It's Daniel. And, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for joining us.